What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Casual Conversation with Will and Gary. This is episode number 27, and a good one. It was joining us on this episode, me and Gary had our good friend, Blake Bryant. We've known Blake for quite a while, but we've really gotten to know him over the past few years. We are glad he joined us on the episode this time. Blake is just an all-around good guy, very interesting to talk to, and one of the smartest guys that I know, so I'm really glad that we got to have him on the episode. We talk about a few things. Blake is very knowledgeable when it comes to physics, so we dive deep down that rabbit hole. Um, me and Gary ask him some questions, and he kind of gives us some answers that the common folk can understand. Uh, we talk about how he grew up, where he came from, what kind of shaped him as an individual. Uh, he's a United States Marine. We talk about that a little bit. Um, it was just an all-around good time, so I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, this was actually our longest episode. Uh, I encourage you guys to listen to the whole thing. It was very interesting and just a very good conversation that we had with him. So once again, thanks for stopping by, and I hope you guys enjoy the show. Ho neighbors. Heidi ho. We are riding along. Casual conversation. Episode. 20 what is it, Will? 27. 27. What an odd On number. On our way to a million. Literally. It's an odd number. And our guest today it's could also number. tell you. Oh, wait, hello, no. Hello. It's a prime number? No, it's not a prime number. Don't, don't, don't. Don't be spitting things you don't know. Okay. <laughs> it is so, indeed a multiple of three. It is a prime See, number. I was just going to fix it. Say, our guest today, Blake Bryant, could tell you all about numbers and all kinds of things. He's got a degree in physics. What is the degree called? Bachelor of Science. A Bachelor of Science in just physics? Is there, physics. Is there an emphasis anywhere? No, there are other fields, but um, I am purely pure. You're purely pure physics. No applied, well, no chemistry, no biology. I am... Physical physics. That's awesome. Well, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, give us, you know, like where you're from, uh, what you do, uh, just a little bit about you, and then we'll get into uh, each other's weeks. All right, my life story. Let's get it. So I'm nice. originally from Memphis, Tennessee. Woo! Yeah, right across the river, just a stone's throw. I've been in Arkansas since I was 13. Um, I'm here in the central area. I went to high school in Clinton. Gary, we went to school with each other for a few years, but then you moved off to play baseball, which is probably a horrible decision for you, but (laughs) jokes aside, jokes aside. Um, I went to college at UCA, and I've been in Conway ever since. Right now, I'm doing a quality engineering internship at a plant in Maumelle that produces plastic packaging packaging solutions, and just, you know, looking forward to the next step in my life. Haven't completely decided what that's going to be, but we'll dive into that a little more later. Yeah. Well, definitely packaging. Is it like packing peanuts? Not quite. What is it like? What is it? So when I say packaging solutions, I mean we're kind of the middleman between a product that is made by a company and then the manner in which that product reaches a customer. So if you want to eat a salad, that's fine and dandy. Someone will make the salad for for you, but they have to have something to put the salad in. And so we make salad trays. And we make a host of different items across a host of different industries. You know, one day we might be making salad trays and lids. One day we might be making um, 
different plastic parts that fit different kinds of medical devices, um, computer parts. It's all over the spectrum. Tools, it's everywhere. Okay, I got it now. Yeah, there are so plenty it, of plastic things. That if it can be made out of plastic, we've made it at one point or another. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's interesting. I mean, somebody's, I mean, you make you make life easier for sure. Yeah. You don't think about the, the salad tray that you get at McDonald's or wherever you're getting it. You just People think go to McDonald's salad. and get salads, Gary. If you've ever right. eaten a salad from 7-Eleven or a fruit cup, <laughs> I made that for you. Oh Be thankful. God. I, I didn't have cups. to. I chose to. You chose to. Oh Dude, my I used gosh. to eat those all the time. Remember those? The, uh, the pineapple tidbits? The pineapple tidbits? No, I can't say I remember those. I love pineapples, though. You used to get them at school. You'd get, you'd get peaches in the little plastic container, and then you get pineapples. In yeah, um, pineapples suck. Pineapples are great. <sighs> yeah, Blake's I'm like sorry. The only I, I cannot. I hate pineapples. Blake's like passion. one of the only people I know that does not like pineapples. Can't stand I love them. a good pineapple. I used to not like pineapples so much. But. Well, Gary, if I ever find one, I'll give it to you, because I have no use for it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyways, um, how was your week, Will? Uh, dude, my week was pretty good. I unfortunately, well, I started it off. I what did I do? Oh, I had finals. My last two finals of my classes this semester. And I don't know how they went. Yeah, I haven't checked. But uh, actually, yeah, I made a seventy-nine in my accounting final. How sad, you know? So you got a B? Yeah. What a loser. Eighty-eight. Oh my gosh, you were so close. I had, a, I had an 89, and if I would have got an A, I might have You'd have just applied yourself. I know. I had an 89 in speech, too, but I haven't checked it yet. But oh. I, I for sure didn't get an A on the test. 100%. Dang, dude. So I'll probably have like two 88s to finish it off. We, we've all been there. There's a few classes that I wish I could take back. Bro, but. email your professors and be like, listen, I feel no, like I'm not I'd- doing that. I feel like I deserve this. I am going to email one of my professors, Mr. Herman, tell him to come on the podcast. Okay. Okay. Did. Did it. Did it. But no, that was on Monday. So, dude, the rest of the week, I've been binge watching. Take a guess what show I've been binge watching. Binge watching? watching? Yeah. Give me a genre. Uh, fantasy. Well, I, I mean, I know what it is. It's going to be the uh, Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. You know it. You yeah, know it. I did. You, did I you take Drew's advice? Did you take Drew's advice? You you got it and you're just gonna binge watch it and then let yeah. go. Yeah, the whole thing. I we started watching it on Saturday, and I'm already almost through the second season. Is Courtney watching it with you? Yeah. And so does she like it? Yeah, she likes it pretty good. Cool. So is it worth it? Dude, at, to be completely honest, I've read I've read the first two books, so I basically know what's gonna happen in the first two seasons. Yeah. And dude, the books are like a lot more detailed in the way that they explain the setting and the like the characters' ideas and things. But the show is cool, but I honestly think the books are cooler. So here's a question that I have about the show that I've always had. How steep is the learning curve? Obviously, with those books and that level of detail that went into writing them, there's only so much you can do in a season's worth of material. You know, you having read the books and now going through the show, you know, can you imagine if you hadn't read the books, do you feel like you would just be lost in that first season trying to acquaint yourself to the characters, the setting, the plot points? I definitely think that... um that that would be the case because Courtney had like a bunch of questions about um, like even the characters names. They didn't even really say, you know, cause like in a, in a show, sometimes they don't directly say the character's name or the place that they're at. So, I mean, she didn't know over half the character's names, you know, within, you know, five or six episodes of the show. You know what I mean? It's yeah. kind of, it, it would be a steep learning curve. I say, 
Especially if you're only watching an episode a week versus a season in just a couple of days. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So definitely me, worth the watch, but the book is definitely worth the read. So let me let me ask: Is Courtney a question asker during the midst of movies? No, she waits till it's over then ask. Okay, okay. Or if I see she's looking like really confused, I'll pause it and I'll explain what's happening. Cause I, but I'm not gonna be able to do that in the upcoming seasons because I don't know what happens. Because. That's one of my pet peeves is <laughs> somebody is somebody that like during the movie is just asking a question while the movie's going on. So as long yeah. as she does it afterwards, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. She's pretty good at it, so But no man, that's all I've been doing. And the episodes are like an hour over an hour long a piece. Dang. So it takes a while to you can watch three episodes and then you look up and your night's gone and I gotta go to sleep. Well But no, that's all I did. What'd you do, Gary? I worked a lot, but I did go to uh, Springfield, Missouri, up apartment hunting uh, with my Nana, and we made a little bit of headway. I applied for one apartment, but I'm going to go back up uh, in the next two weeks with my dad, and we're going to apply for a couple more. Uh, I just... I was looking, you know, through uh, for a certain range of the cheapest apartments, and I went up to them, and it just wasn't areas that. It just God wasn't. You. Yeah, sorry. It just wasn't areas that I I wanted to live, except for one of them. So. Did you feel scared? No, I didn't feel scared, but I was just like, I don't want to live here. Why? Because it was like all on top of each other, and it was just like, like kind of run down areas of town. That were so you cheaper. were scared. No, I wasn't scared, but I, I just want to live it's in okay, a nicer Gary. area. It's okay, town. it's okay. We're here for you, Gary. <laughs> no, I just want to live in a nicer <laughs> area, bro. Uh, so we're gonna go back up there the next two weeks or so and check it out. And plus, the one that I, I did like, like it was nice, but it doesn't have like laundry hookups, and it's a dollar fifty to wash and a dollar twenty five to dry. That's lame. That's super lame, Gary. You're gonna live by yourself, yeah. Do you intend to do that the entirety of the time that you're there? Probably. I mean, if I can get a roommate, that'd be cool, but probably not. So my question then becomes, are you just looking at one-bedroom apartments? Yes. Are you are you wanting to move or something? No, I was just curious. I was like, I mean, I mean if you're moving to Springfield, maybe sure. But. No, I, I, I don't have any business in Springfield now, but uh, it's good to know that if I do ever come visit you, I'll only have a couch and not a guest bedroom, so thanks for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. I wasn't going to come visit anyway. Yeah. Dude, you can sleep on the couch. I mean, I might. We'll sleep on the couch. He lived with me for four something years, four and a half years or something, like four years. And he slept on the couch like probably half the time. I technically slept on a couch the whole time because I slept on a futon. futon. Yeah, yeah, futon. And I didn't recline or I didn't recline it into bed mode because it was way comfier just in couch mode. I I have quite a few pictures of Will in awkward sleeping positions on that sectional. Yeah, that sectional comfiest couch I've ever I've ever seen. I'm gonna get rid of it though, dude. Dude, what are you gonna do with it? Throw it in the dump, dude. No, we should have a dump to the dump to the dump 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 to the dump. Whoa. Okay. Pause. (laughs) No, dude. Pause. Are you really throwing it in the dump? Because I'll take that son of a bitch. Really? <laughs> really? <laughs> the I'll, legacy yeah. lives on. It? Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. You can totally have it. Win. Uh, dude, I was going to say we should burn it. But... His, new, his new sectional. Dude, I was so, gonna... <laughs> it's a mammoth, dude. Dude, I was going to say we should make like a, a big wooden pyre for it. Like uh, not, a, not an altar, but like a big wooden 
thing yeah, and just and have burn a, it. Yeah, just have a ceremony, a ceremony and burn it. Way. I am for a sacrificial sectional. That does sound something that could sacrificial you know. sectional. Or, yeah. or like we could give you part of it, Blake, and then just sacrifice right. like that little chair part. You know, <laughs> see the chair part's actually the part that I wanted, but so you could keep the chair part. Yes, and, and then, then we'll. So you do you really want that, Blake? Yes. Okay. Yeah, for, for sure. No, I'm, I'm not sure, joking. Dude. I, I've been trying to buy a sectional. I tried to buy one from a girl I went you to high school with. And she was it. like, "Dude, we just bought it. It's a thousand dollars if you want it." <laughs> you know, no, I'll will sleep on the floor. You can have that, and the I'll give it to you for free. The cost is you just gotta come get it. No kids though. You might could like take it apart a little, or, like take the cushions out and just put some more wood bracing in there, and it might make it better because it's kind of beat down, but. I feel like you could refurbish it. It's probably just going to go in the garage, to be honest. In Fair enough. Garage. That'd be a good garage. I've got one a couple of recliners and a couch in the living room that are pretty new, but yeah, it'd be a good garage one though, for sure. Garage one. I just I would hate to see it just the dump. Really, <laughs> we've been through too I much. I can't believe you even sectional. said that, Gary. Dude, I was going to take the dump. What dump? The landfill? Yeah, the landfill, bro. I'm a and Conway, just toss it around. Just Conway toss it in there. Citizen. I just gotta show them the, my little bill, and they'll let me dump it in for free. And just toss it in there like like nothing. Yep. Like a sack of potatoes. Yep. I can't believe it. I'm offended. It's all good. Will for that the was my, entire, that's mine anyway. It is yours. You should have took it. I'm not talking to Gary for the rest of this podcast. What? I'm not talking to Gary for the rest of this podcast. Sorry, gosh. Gary. So this Blake, is casual conversation yeah, with Blake, week, Blake How was your week? Wait, what was that? Yeah, did you hear something? No, well, I, didn't, I think I your know. wife's home, dude. I think that my microphone's buzzing or something. I can't hear him. So my week. So <laughs> my week is the way that my week is because of my weekend activity. So let's start there. I'm gonna back it up back to Friday. I had drill this weekend, so I've been oh, running around no. in the woods all weekend. So I've still got. I'll show you a couple little scars left. Oh, they've mostly healed up, but ouch yeah we did a, a lot of hiking so when i got home sunday it was a lot of sleep i went to bed at five and then i woke up at five and those um 12 hours separated between those two woke up monday went to work was still tired came home from work on monday went back to sleep at five that led me into tuesday on tuesday went to work came home apparently i didn't get enough monday so i passed out tuesday about seven o'clock after watching a little bit of friends on netflix Brought me into Wednesday. Wednesday. Yesterday, I actually had a pretty normal day. Um, worked kind of late yesterday. Um, me and Matt went to the gym where uh, we just started a new fitness resume um, for a very particular reason, which we'll discuss here in a little bit. I'm curious, actually, to get some input from both of you on how you feel about this particular uh, subject I'll that we're going to approach. On it. Yeah, Might not sure. be good input, but I'll tell you what I so think. After <laughs> that... Um, what did I eat? I ate something really good last night. I cannot, for the life of me, remember what it was. A steak. I just need you. I just need you to know that it, it was good, whatever it was. Well, tasty. And then here we are on Thursday. So my week has pretty much just been my typical routine: work, and then come home. And if I'm not at the gym exercising, I'm usually cleaning up at the house, taking care of my dogs, relaxing, reading. You know, I, I'm pretty leisurely on the weekdays because I'm usually up by five, and I'm usually not home till at least four. So I don't really have a lot of time in the evenings to do anything extravagant. So it. I keep it pretty calm, and this week's been the same. I feel yeah. you, man. I hear that. I'm on the weekends, and everybody does things on the weekends. I I don't even know if I'm going to be able to go to Paxton's wedding down in the Gulf. Cause like, I didn't think you were going anyway. Well, I didn't in, intend to, but then like my program doesn't start until August 5th, and it's like last second I'm trying to go, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to go. Well, you got a month, so you can't 
Oh no! Do you? you I'm do trying your, to get somebody to switch. I was about to shifts. say, do you do your uh, schedule a month in advance? Well, or do you have to ask off a month in yeah, advance? Yeah, you gotta ask off a month in advance. But it's like I'm trying to get people to switch shifts with me. I don't know if it's gonna work. So. Oh, I gotcha. I, gotcha. I feel that. I feel that. You know, you just kind of got the nose to the grindstone right now, I and mean, you have chapters of of life. You know. Yeah, definitely, for sure. So that's just where that's where you're at right now. It doesn't mean where it's where you're gonna be in a year or two or three or four or two months. But we'll talk or about two it. months. We'll we'll talk about it in a yeah. Bit. Let's yeah for sure. Anyways, um, yeah, let's let's dive into a little bit about uh, who you are, how you grew up, things like that, and then we'll kind of talk about some goals and aspirations that you have. So you can all just right, lead so, right into that. Yeah, definitely, Gary. We've had a a lot of conversations about our upbringings over our time, our friendship together. Will, we'll, we've had a couple too, but not as in depth. Um, so I'll just take y'all through a couple of the things of that I think make me who I am, how I got to be that person, and kind of where it's taken me forward. Um, like I said, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I never really grew up on the inner inner city, but um, always in kind of the suburbs, kind of like what Conway is, the Little Rock. <clears throat> um, it wasn't a, a not the greatest part of town. Um, I'm not going to say that it wasn't a struggle, um, but I'm also not going to sit here and ask for a pity party, but definitely saw some things growing up, went through some experiences that uh, I probably would have preferred not to, um, but it definitely created a lot of opportunities for growth at a young age. Um, grew up in a lot of trailer parks, had some times where um, didn't really have a place to live, didn't really have lights or water, steady source of income for family reasons. But, you know, um, one one benefit of that that I didn't realize until I got older is it made me very close to my mom and my sister. You know, a lot of times people that are growing up, I'm going to use the word quote-unquote privileged, um, they don't foster as close relationships with their family members because they have so many opportunities because of their position in society, such as church, church league activities, school, extracurricular activities, and then any other hobbies that they're able to fund that it kind of takes away in certain situations from that bond that you have within your family. I was never afforded that opportunity, so I'm very close with my family for that reason. I would say that's probably one of my more defining characteristics is um, I, I take family very, very seriously. And I know a lot of people take family seriously and everyone, you know, loves their mom and dad. But, you know, like I make an effort to talk to my mom and my sister on the phone every day. I, I drive three or four hours at least once a month to go see my grandparents because they're getting old. I make an effort to drive three or four hours once a month to go see my nieces and nephews that are growing up in different parts of the U.S. So I'm not going to say that I care about my family more, but I think I make more of an effort to go and see them and spend time with them and to continue to have that close relationship that now as I've gotten older and moved out and went on my own, that it's not as easy to have that day-to-day interaction. I try to maintain as much as that as I can. <clears throat> so I went through that struggle period, and then <clears throat> um, my mom and dad um, finally decided to completely split ways and take their lives in different directions. And uh, at the time, my grandma was sick. She had, um, I don't want to say mesothelioma, because I feel like that's the commercial where they, you know, yeah. asbestos. The class but, um, action lawsuit. Yeah. 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 Multiple myeloma. That's what it is. She uh, had multiple myelinomas, so we moved up here to Arkansas um, to kind of help take care of her, to get away from that toxic situation that I had before, and um, kind of just start over. So we moved into this little um, two-bedroom, one-bath trailer with my grandma, who was going through chemotherapy, my uncle, who's disabled and can't walk, uh, my sister, myself, and my mother. So my uncle slept in his room, my mom slept in her bed, or not my mom, my grandma slept in her bed um, with my sister, I slept on a cot, and my mom slept on the couch. And we had six dogs and three cats living in the house, um, probably about 700 square foot trailer. And we did that 
um, for probably about two or three months. And then an unfortunate situation led to my dad's passing. So then we had that emotional grief that we kind of carried. And it was a really crazy period of my time. And the reason I'm going to talk about this a little more in detail is this lines up when I first met all of y'all. This was, you know, my first two or three months in, in a new state with new people where I didn't know anyone. And, you know, Clinton being a small town, you walk into school on the first day, you're all automatically getting exposed to everyone within that smaller social structure that exists in small towns. It's not like at a big school every day you're seeing someone like, uh, you know, maybe I had a class with them two or three years ago, but now I can't remember them. I don't know their name. Everyone's interconnected. Everyone's family knows everyone. They go to the same church. They play on the sports teams, that whole dynamic. And I was just completely new to it. And then you combine that with the fact that I had just lost someone that I wasn't necessarily very close with, but I wasn't I mean, I was 13 years old, so I was not prepared emotionally to be able to handle that by myself in the situation that I was in. So those first couple months um, were really hard. You know, I had, I knew that I was intelligent. I knew that I was probably, you know, not to sound patronizing to anyone that I went to school with, but I knew that I was ahead of a lot of my classmates. And for whatever reason, the way that school systems work and, you know, the way that they designate certain students for certain classes. Um, I got put into a lot of the lower end classes, you know, like I remember very distinctly, I was put in the algebra B class, which is a, a two year sequence for taking algebra when I felt like I should have been in the advanced algebra class to begin with. Uh, I stand by that today because I have a minor in math from a well-renowned university. So nonetheless, I digress. That really drove me to intensely study on my academics. I'm not going to say that I was necessarily brighter than anyone, but I knew from the get-go <clears throat> that I really wanted to kind of had a point to prove, you know, dealing with the emotional distress and being in a new situation, trying to make new friends, you know, having all these and at the same time going through puberty, trying to figure out what it meant to be a man. Um and then I made friends with everyone cuz I started playing on the basketball team, started to know people's families. It being a small town, you know, it was my friends were much more accessible. Living in Memphis, you know, the way that school districts and stuff work in a in a really large city. I want to say that the suburban area of Memphis has a population. The Memphis, uh, West Memphis, South Haven area is roughly around three million people. You know, it, my bus route was forty five minutes to get to school. The friends that I had at school may have lived thirty or forty five minutes away from me, whereas my friends in Clinton were I could realistically get up and jog to their houses. So I started to um, really make that tight-knit group of friends, which to this day, I still hang out with. Gary, you're one of them. Uh, Will, you've, you're kind of in that extended circle, but you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that you went to high school with that you would consider yourself friends with that you don't see nearly as often as you see me. That's true. That's true. Yeah. So, and then that's, I kind of continued that friendship um, up through high school, continued to play sports, continued to develop myself academically, and then it got time to go to college. And I took that same group of friends. We all went to, to school together. First in Russellville, we had a year at Arkansas Tech. Uh, full disclosure, I helped a friend cheat on a test and I got expelled. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's a fork in the road. <laughs> yeah, you got the you got the distinguished governor scholarship, didn't you? What no, that that it? was Matt. Oh, that was Matt. Yeah, he that one also got taken away. But <laughs> <laughs> y'all can have Matt on next week, and he can yeah, tell dude, his we side need of to have Matt, on. Matt would be a good one to have on too. I just, if if there was a scholarship afforded to any student in 2014, 2015 that lived in Baswell 505 or five oh six, I can assure you it was taken away and not given back. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is this is where 
this was a very interesting moment in my life because in those last three or four months that I was at school, I enlisted in the Marine Corps and I was going to boot camp that summer and I got kicked out a week before I had to leave for boot camp. So I had two major things happening in my life at once. Um, I'd gotten expelled from a school that was paying me a lot of money to go there to the point where I didn't have to work and was still able to live lavishly and afford all of my college amenities. That was taken away with nothing to replace it and no plan going forward about where I was going to go to school, what I was going to go to school for, how I was going to afford to live, how I was going to afford to pay for it. And then there was the looming um, shipping off the boot camp dealing with all the stresses that come with joining the military. Um, So I kind of pieced it together as best as I could those last two weeks, kind of signed up for some classes at UCA, kind of signed up for some classes at UACCM, the best that I could to, you know, with my financial situation, as well as the degree that the planning for getting a degree going forward. Um, Went to boot camp, hated my life for 13 weeks in my wallet, wherever I said it. I actually have a little calendar that I wrote uh, the first day I was there and where I marked off every single day. And, you know, now it's been four damn near five years since I since I made that thing and it's all torn and worn but I'm never getting rid of it because it's just a constant reminder of how much I fucking hate San Diego and how I'm never going back (laughs) (laughs) wow San Diego oh fake fake rocks white sandy beaches this must be San Diego (laughs) so now we, we move into the next part of my story this is where it this is where my life as it is now picks up all those other parts from here on I I've moved past them both in terms of just that part of my life is over. I would now say that where I'm at right now is the end of this chapter that I'm about to begin telling you about. Um, once I got back, Gary, this is when you and me started playing music. Okay. So yeah, and yeah. We're, we'll definitely talk about that. Yeah. So just to keep it short, you know, me and Gary both play guitar. Um, Gary likes to sing. I like to solo match made in heaven. We, you know, probably spent a good six or eight months. I would say playing fairly consistently played a couple gigs, Really got to have that musical experience. I got fully ingratiated within my program at my school. I started to find faculty members as well as students within the program that I could study with, learn with, let my feelings out on. Because it's it's easy to vent to someone, you know, about like a relationship. It's it's hard to vent about like vector calculus because, you know, most people can offer advice about relationships. Most people have no fucking idea what's going on with vector calculus, sometimes myself included even to this day. But nonetheless, so we played music. Um, I started to get into my program, grades got better, you know, found stability. I was living with um, one of the guys that went to tech with me, Marcus, y'all had him on the show yeah. some odd number of weeks back. He he bought a house when he moved to Conway, and uh, I lived with him and then one of our other roommates, Jared, for a little while. So really, really got into the good flow of things, had the, it was, that's when I really felt like I got the college experience. The The freshman year at tech was really kind of learning how to not be a high school student more than it was learning how to be a college student because I was with all of my best friends. It's different when you go in with a random roommate. You're kind of forced into learning someone, breaking out of your comfort zone. With me, it was like every day I came home and did the same thing I did when I was in high school. The only difference was I lived in a big brick building next to the football field instead of at home with my parents. Yeah. So, um, what happened next? What did I do that summer? Oh, I had a special contract when I was in the military. So, usually you do your initial training, your quote-unquote boot camp and then you go to your specialty school so whatever your job is going to be in the military you then spend another period of time learning that job so I had a special contract where I broke those two training periods up so that I didn't have to miss any school so that following summer I went and lived in North Carolina another state that I hate hope I never go back to wow um, I thought North I, I thought North Carolina no. was nice man 
It, it is, but what part of North Carolina were you in? Eastern coast. I was See, on. I, 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 if I lived in North Carolina, I'd want to live in the western North Carolina. Yeah. So Western Carolina, from what I've been told, a lot of mountains, a lot of hiking, swimming trails, that yeah, kind of that, thing. That's what I'd want to do. Um, it's still nice out on the east. The beaches are still pretty good. I mean, it's you know, it's not California or Pensacola, um, but it's a lot more populated in those areas. You have a lot more people. You have a lot more going on, and you know. I think we can all safely say we're not meant to live in New York City. We yeah. much we much more yeah, prefer our sure. space. So that I didn't like that about it out there. It was like every one of their small towns was a Conway. You know, you didn't have a town of a thousand people where you go to the lake. It was everything was sixty, eighty, a hundred, a hundred and twenty thousand. And then you get to the bigger cities like Durham, and you know, because they have so many big prestigious universities out there, be it yeah. ECU, Duke. North Carolina, NC State. There's just so much going on in the eastern part of the state. It just it wasn't for me. Plus, it's swampy as hell, and infantry school really sucks. So <laughs> yeah, that definitely contributed a, lot of, a little bit. A lot so. of <laughs> negative uh, qualities. <laughs> so I come back from that, continue to do school. Um, at this point, this is where um, this is where I really got a really good opportunity, Gary. You remember this developing because I know I we were still spending a lot of time together at this point. I told you that I wanted to do some kind of research project, some kind of internship. I wanted to set myself apart from other people within my field because I felt like I hadn't put enough into it my first two years. Even though I had a decent GPA and I was at a good school, I had such high aspirations post-graduation that I knew I had to do something. So within the physics community, there's this thing called a RU. It stands for Research Experience for Undergraduates. So these graduate-level programs get funding from different organizations, uh, mostly the National Science Foundation, to put to bring in um, up-and-coming upperclassmen into their, uh, into their research projects and kind of assist and, you know, learn. Just become familiar with it. Yeah, the research process, do they, is this something they can see themselves doing? Because a bachelor's degree pretty much teaches you a set of material and skills so that you can do a job in the extended blue-collar work workplace there's really no bachelor's degree that's going to put you into a job that's going to make you a million dollars a year unless you just really excel at it you know bachelor degrees are meant to supplement the workforce which is i'm not that's not a negative on anyone but it doesn't teach you to do cutting edge innovative research and really that's the purpose of graduate school you're going to learn this firsthand when you move up there because everything you've done up to this point has probably been textbook based kind of you know we're, re, we're regurgitating and relearning knowledge that's been passed down from class to class. And now you're like, okay, well, I'm going to take this, this really particular little point of the subject that I'm interested in, and I'm going to dive into it. I had a professor tell me one time, getting your undergraduate degree is like digging a six-inch ditch a mile wide. Getting your graduate degree is like digging um, a six-inch ditch a mile down. Okay. So in terms of like the sub, you you will be the foremost expert on that particular part of that subject yeah you know a grain of sand in a beach of a subject and um yeah so that's i got the opportunity to go work at a particle accelerator at texas a&m university um doing studying beta decay within um nuclear physics kind of stuff so um, what is a an accelerator what, what's the accelerator? particle accelerator that yeah, sounds so, like some sci-fi stuff yeah so an accelerator is a machine that accelerates Particles. I'm going to say that again in case anyone missed it. A particle accelerator. <laughs> so what, is, what, is that, what does that mean, though? Like you're adding energy to the particles and making yep. them go so, fast? So, everything, so they're just spinning around really fast? Yes. So cool. everything 
in the universe has a certain set of properties, right? You know, the sky is blue. You know, Gary's dumb. Will's cool. (laughs) I'm still holding a grudge because of the pineapple thing. It's going to take me at least another half hour to get over it. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, and we use these properties to describe things and how they interact with one another. You know, when you're standing on the side of the road and you get passed by an 18 wheeler and it almost knocks you into the ditch, you're like, damn, that's a big ass truck. And then you get passed by one of them little Prius smart cars and you're like, yeah, I would never drive one of those because you could get hit by someone on a bicycle and it could total your car. (laughs) The reason that we make these assumptions about these hypothetical events is because we know something about their properties in the present, how fast they're going, their mass. Da 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 da. Um, it's no different with subatomic particles. Things like protons, neutrons, electrons, the stuff you learn about in your middle school and high school level physical science classes. The thing about it is though, the way their properties interact with their natural world are a little different because they're so small. You can't just take a look at one and say, Well, it's blue, so you know we can't say, Oh, it's this big or it's that because they have a they have a different set of rules. So, you know, if, if you go to buy a car, you know, you want to pick out a car for your particular situation. Let's say you're commuting to work a lot. You probably want to go in and find a car that has a lot of fuel efficiency, you know. Yeah. And since, you know, you're not buying yourself a big jacked up truck, you're probably not trying to buy something too sporty. If you're not trying to buy something too sporty, you know, you probably don't want something that's going to run your insurance through the roof. So you might take into consideration which colors of cars are going to cost you less with insurance. You might take into account, you know, I know that when I, I have dogs, so maybe I don't need a leather seat because they could tear it up. Maybe I need to go with something more like just a typical upholstery. All these different physical characteristics go on the car deciding what you want to buy with it or which car you end up purchasing. So at the lab that I worked at, um, the way that that lab funds itself is by single event effect. It's called a C line. So you have a line, which is pretty much the accelerator in a big circle. It speeds up these particles, gets them going faster, gives them more energy, and then you whack it against something so that that's how you make those properties interact. That's the physics subatomic version of car shopping for should I get upholstery, should I get leather, should I get something with four-wheel drive, two-wheel drive, what miles per gallon am I looking for? Because by smacking these particles with large amounts of energy and uh, something that you want to know how it will respond in certain situations, it reveals those characteristics to you. A lot of times the kind of people that they have come in there are people that work in the defense industry, the aerospace industry, because when you put a plane up in the atmosphere, you're not getting hit by gust of wind. You're getting hit by gust of particles that get blocked by our atmosphere, but they just happen came all the way down through and gotten blocked it. So you're getting whacked by stuff that you would never have to think about, you know, driving around your Toyota Camry. And it's important because electronics are so they're precise devices. There, you can, there's not a lot of wiggle room in the way they operate. Think about driving your car at 100 miles an hour. If you jerk that steering wheel, you know, just a little bit, it could cause you to flip. Whereas if you're driving your car at five miles an hour, you can pretty much turn that steering wheel a whole 90 degrees and, you know, still have enough bearing about you to get your car back on the road. So you you're saying off. you accelerate the, the particle to a particular state and then you 
you put some type of stimulus towards it and you see how it reacts. Yeah, so and you can you can get that particle in different states and do and provide different types of stimulus to that particle. Right. If you make a particle go this fast or this hard, that's going to simulate what's going to happen to this satellite in the atmosphere. And the reason that's important, if that little particle gets into the control board on a space shuttle and then crashes the thruster system, you have six astronauts falling at 600 miles per hour towards the Pacific Ocean on live TV bad situation so they use that those kind of things electronics and whatnot um, the testing of electronics with those particles to fund the project itself but that's not that's not really why we make particle accelerators. we don't make particle accelerators just test things we make particle accelerators to break the laws of physics and then manipulate what we find to our own benefit so they use that money to fund research projects and the kind of research projects that they do there is um what would be known as low energy nuclear astrophysics so most of the projects within that um, that lab are based on simulating the events in stars with um, the materials the elements that we have on earth and dumping energy into them into that accelerator to make them simulate what would happen so obviously when you have elements in the core of a star there's so much pressure there's so much density there's so much heat you don't really see that anywhere, you know, you, in a volcano, sure, you have the heat, but you don't have the density. And maybe in some kind of rock formation, you might have the pressure of com how compacted that rock is. Think of like a tectonic plate, uh, but you're not going to have nearly the amount of heat you need. And even then, you can't just drill into a tectonic plate to do testing on, you know, one molecule of beryllium. Yeah. <laughs> you, you obviously can't get into a volcano. Um, so we build <laughs> these true. accelerators to get these, these particles to act in that way because you know this is this is where you kind of dive off onto a philosophical journey through purpose and reason and the hows and whys of the universe itself you know we, we're pretty much convinced unless you're extremely religious within the scientific community we come from stars it's a thing called the r process you take a whole bunch of helium you heat it up you put it in a ball you get a star and it starts to compress helium and um, helium turns to lithium and it goes I don't know all the elements of the periodic table by heart, but you know, the way that it's organized is by the number of protons in its nucleus, if you can remember that from your high school classes. They continue to fuse together by nuclear, um, nuclear fusion, and they just continue to work their way up, and that star gets heavier and heavier and heavier through the R process. And then when it hits iron, it gets too heavy, and it either blows up or just collapses in on itself. And those elements can be traced in terms of their abundance. Because we know through math and physics how much there should be in the universe by how much we started with and by that process. And it lines up perfectly with what we have on Earth. You know, we're carbon creatures. That's, yeah. that, that's our, we're carbon life forms. And how we're made up as a carbon life form traces back perfectly to the life and death of stars in the universe. So, you know, you tell the average individual, yeah, we're taking this one hydrogen atom and we're taking a whole bunch of super powerful magnets and we're speeding it up to 99.99% of light and then we're smacking it into gold just to see what it does for one ten thousandth of a second. And the normal person would be like, huh? How is that ever going to be fucking relevant to anything? Well, it might not, but your child might have a serious interest in philosophy. And the information we gain from that reaction tells us more about how stars are born how star dies, what happens when they die, and how that affects us 
in our lives. You know, how does this great, big, confusing, but beautifully designed universe we live in, why does it do the things that it does? Why does it act in the manner in which it does? It's, the universe is kind of like a, like a six-year-old kid. It's, it's unpredictable, um, but at the same time, it leaves you with a lot of chuckles and a lot of amusement. Like, wow, I, I can't believe it figured out how to do that. You didn't think that was possible. And then, you know, next thing you know, you find your three-year-old on top of the fridge in the cookie jar. But, you know, it is what it is. So, yeah, that's pretty much the basis of what a particle accelerator is. You put something in it, you speed it up really fast, and then you hit it against something else and you seize what happened, you know? Think of like when you're hunting for eggs during Easter. You know, if you just hold that egg in your hand, like this is boring plastic purple egg, and then you drop it hard enough to break it open, there's $5 in your side. You're like, well, hell yeah, let's, let's keep doing that. <laughs> let's keep doing that. <laughs> and the next thing you know, you got $100, and you're like, shit, this is really cool. Maybe we should do this a lot. And then next thing you know, you got brilliant traveling 99.99% of the speed of light, smacking into things. So, yeah, that's that. And that, that was pretty much my internship. My project in particular, I was testing, there was this guy named Dirac. Um, he was a very famous physicist that got overshadowed by Einstein, um, but one of the probably 10 greatest people to ever live within the field. Wow. Yeah, so he, he had this wow. set of calculations that predict how radioactive particles behave in different situations. And this is, this is extremely important when people ask, what are the real-world applications of this kind of research that you're doing? Depending on, how, depending on the situation in which this particle finds itself with too much energy, it says, I have to get rid of it. I need to put it somewhere. And there's a number of different ways that particles can get rid of that energy. It can, it can either get rid of a proton. It can get rid of an electron. It can get rid of a neutron. It can do all these different things that don't matter. Just know that if it has a certain amount of energy in its hand, it's going to throw it somewhere. Well, where it throws it means different things depending on what's on the other side. You know, If you're in the way of that, it could, it could have serious implications for you. If it misses you, all right, you're fine and dandy. Certain types of emitted radiation do certain things to people. You know, like right now, we're all exposed to alpha radiation just from the potassium we have in our bloodstreams. Yeah. And that, that's not harmful. But if for some reason there's nuclear fallout at Russellville and we start getting hit by ionizing gamma radiation from the plutonium, our insides are going to fry, which, you know, not a good thing. Let's pray and hope that that doesn't happen. But what I did is I was testing this guy Dirac's equations. And how accurate is what he said? The reason that becomes important, physicists compile this knowledge and then we give it to the medical world. We say when you have these elements in these situations, it does this. And then the doctors, in particular oncologists, say, well, that thing that comes out of it, we can take that and we can aim it at a tumor in this guy's brain. And we know that it's going to act this way all the time. So we know that we can put this much here and not have any adverse side effects. And we can smack this tumor, kill it, and then take it away right at the last minute when the tumor's gone. And we can possibly give this guy a few more years with his family. So anything that has to do with nuclear medicine, anything that has to do with MRIs, which is just, it has to do with the way that the, the particles in your body respond to magnetic fields, CAT scans, x-rays, all this stuff. The reason that we can use these use these to the degrees of efficiency um, and to the, the imaging capabilities that we can is because of things like particle accelerators 
gathering information about how elements work and how they react in certain situations. So I understand the average Joe being like, it's so abstract that we would ever need to build a giant ring of magnets and smack beryllium into gold. But the next time you get an x-ray to get that damn cavity filled, just understand that the knowledge of x-rays had to come from somewhere. Yeah. So that, that kind of thing. Very, 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 very important. A lot of real world applications. So I finished up my internship, came back. Where was that internship at again? Texas A&M, College Station. Woo. I went there during the summer, and it was, it was if y'all have never been to like a really big time SEC school, I encourage you to go. I mean, I'm sure y'all have probably been on the Arkansas Razors back campus at least yeah. once. Um, they do everything bigger in Texas. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> something about Texas. If you're a Texan and you're listening to this, um, I don't really have an affinity for y'all, so I'm no holds barred on the next 30 seconds. Um, tech, I cannot ever imagine going to school at Texas A&M in the middle of the fall semester. Why? It is no bigger than Conway, and it has six times the population, four of which is just on the campus on an average day. 180,000 people on campus any given day in a normal academic semester. Wow. That's a lot of people. That's too many people. That's a ton and it's of it's no bigger than Conway? No. It, it's really, like, it's, it has, the campus is a square. You have a road on the east side of campus. You have a road on the west side of campus. You have a road on the north side of campus. You have a road on the south side of campus, and that's it. And then there's like a Kroger, a Walmart, and a bar. Oh, wow. And then like that's some like Texas Conway. store that that's sells. About right, yeah. Yes. And then one <laughs> store that somehow managed to sell like 700 pairs of boots a day. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's Texas, baby. Texas, yeah. baby. Yeah, Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas. Like, guys, <laughs> guys I'm telling y'all, it. It was a remarkable. I'm not even like that far away from Texas. Like I drove there in a day when I moved there. I mean, all in a day. Like there was a guy that was a part of our internship that was from France, and he was what was the fuck was the Texans doing, yeah? And I was, <laughs> and man, fuck, dude, I'm from Arkansas and I don't know. <laughs> it was it was it was one of the better periods. I made some very very good friends. I have one of my friends that I was there with um, getting his PhD in nuclear astrophysics at UC Santa Barbara. One of the girls is going for nuclear physics PhD at North Carolina. Um, one of them's still there at Texas A&M doing nuclear astrophysics. Um, one of them's at the University of North Texas doing nuclear physics. One of them's getting their PhD in um, some kind of chemistry at the University of I Some very, very intelligent people. You know, you hear a lot, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. Well, like, I wasn't the smartest person in the room, so I, like, went to the lobby, and I still wasn't the smartest person. Like, (laughs) Talking about that, like, I'm sure that that was really good for you, uh, like, I mean, obviously to learn, but to, like, just humble yourself and be like, you know, this is an opportunity for me to learn from some pretty, pretty uh, high-level people of the field that I want to be in. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Um, This is, it's going to sound negative, but it's not. I went in thinking I wanted to get a PhD and do research for the rest of my life, and I walked out knowing that there was no way in hell that I was ever going to be that person. Yeah. It was, it showed me, you know, physics has always meant something to me personally. It's it's been my church on a Sunday morning. It, It gave me the answers about the questions I asked when I was four year old, you know. You, everyone reaches a certain age when you realize, you know, wow. You know, the bliss of innocence leaves you and you have just these profound questions of life and death and why and how. And I could never find any answers until I fell in love with physics because it it didn't take me all the way there, but it got me 99.9% of the way. And I knew there was other people that struggled with that same kind of intrinsic understanding of, you know, reality itself and that 
decided to pursue it in a way that could be written down on paper. And that was beautiful to me. I don't want to get into a long religious rant, but the things about physics that I love, I can write down and prove to you right here with just, you know, a little piece of lead and some papyrus. Whereas all the other answers to the questions I had, people said, you have to go off of faith or you have to go off of trust. And I didn't like that. I'm a numbers kind of guy to this day, probably to a fault, but nonetheless, yeah. um, nothing against religion, but that's what worked for me. And what that internship did is it taught me that what I thought I wanted out of physics was not what, what I really did. I was trying to make it into something that it was not. It was something personal that I keep in my room that is reserved for me, myself, and I. When I thought it was something I wanted to take out and, and give to people and share, which I'll always love to talk about physics. I will always love to teach physics. I will always love to learn and read about physics. But when it comes to the heart of hearts, the core of the situation, I got a degree in physics, not for whatever job I work, not for my kids, not for my wife, not for my family, not for my dogs. I did it for me. And that was that internship going through that process gave that to me. And it's something that I will forever be grateful for because it wasn't like I was in a classroom with textbooks with other people. It was an individual research project. I got to dive into it for two and a half months of my life and just let it take me over and make it all that I thought about every day. And it just really showed me that, you know, what I wanted to get out of it. Yeah, it, it was a. I'm so lucky that I got the opportunity to do that. It was blissful, but it's really hot in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> it is so damn That's hot. That's awesome, man, that you learned all that. Well, um, so like you talk about, you know, you got that degree for yourself and it's it's not necessary for anything uh, else. Like what do you plan to do? Like what are your future aspirations? All right, here we go. Yeah, I mean, I all know right, big reveal. So... You know, since since I've graduated or like finished out college, I spent eight months doing a software engineering internship that taught me that I haven't want nothing to do with software. I've spent the last eight months doing quality engineering, which what quality engineering is, is a statistical approach to problem solving within your particular industry. You take your knowledge of math and statistics and processes and physical variables and you use that to minimize costs and maximize efficiency. So like I make plastic parts. Well, if the machine malfunctions and the part cuts wrong, you know, you probably wouldn't want a salad lid that was cut in half because bacteria, right? Y'all know a little bit about biology. You'll die. It'll kill you. E. coli, (laughs) right? Y'all heard of that little bastard? (laughs) Um, So my job is on a day-to-day basis. How do I take data from our machines, from our company, from our plant, from our processes, and then interpret it in a way that can be quantified mathematically? How, How can I give you a number that describes how what the quality of our things are and there's a lot of different ways to do that it's it's kind of like you know we'll say you uh you were finishing up your accounting class it's kind of like what accounting does for the finances for a business quality engineering does for the efficiency of the process um and what this last eight months has taught me is i don't want to do that either <laughs> you don't want to do that either. hey it's good that you're finding things that you yeah. don't want to do though um yeah see i a lot of people I have learned to follow my heart. You know, when I was 17, 18, 19, I was so intent on proving people wrong that I, that I let my ego guide the way. And I learned to let that go and let my heart guide the way. And what that's given me is even though I've, I've maybe missed out on some opportunities to pursue something that's better for me, I've had really good learning experiences in what I have done. So I didn't waste eight months learning, you know, software engineering. I just had a good time, made some professional references, made some good friends. 
and got to do something that a lot of people don't get to do, even though it wasn't for me. It's something I can look back on. Same thing for this job. Um, this one's been good, and I always think that quality engineering it will be a good fit for me because it's just enough math and just enough people skills for me to meet in the middle because I'm not hyper good at math. I'm better than most people, but within the technical field, I, I'm not like... I'm not the guy that you want designing all of your high end, whatever it might be in that industry. I'm, I need, I need to be on the back end a little bit when the kind of the process is already set in control and then maximize it. Likewise, on the other end, you probably don't want me talking to customers, but once we know what the customer wants, I need to be a part of that conversation so I can guide them to what we're capable of. I, my personality, my skill set fits in that, but it's still not what I want to do on an everyday basis. So I pretty much 100% made up my mind that I'm going to attempt to go back to school um, next year. I have three different career paths in mind. Two of y'all are going to be like, oh, yeah, that's Blake. And the third, you're going to be like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> okay, let's, let's hear it, dude. Let's hear it then. So Big one, reveal. Okay. <laughs> I, I think my calling in life is, is medical physics. I think that's what I was born to do. I think I was born to work in a hospital with MRI machines and CAT scan machines and x-ray machines and oncologists that treat people with cancer because I, I feel like, at least at my level of um, education, obviously I don't have the understanding of nuclear physics that someone with a PhD in 25 years research does, but for where I'm at, nuclear physics is what I get. When someone tells me something crazy about kinematics or thermodynamics or statistical mechanics and other parts of physics i still get my mind blown by them by it there's nothing in nuclear physics that catches me off guard it just it works with my mind and all of nuclear physics is nuclear medicine is applied nuclear physics and i want a job that i know that i'm contributing to the well-being of not only my community not only my society but just my race I feel like when people say nuclear, just, you know, because of the past with nuclear weapons, we have such this negative outlook on how they can be used and what they mean for us as a people when there's so many day-to-day life-saving, life-altering, life-changing, for the better, applications of them, you know, in terms of can we... Can we optimize the way we image, you know, body tissue so that we catch cancer a year earlier and, you know, maybe some of the people we've lost have the opportunity to come on the show next week and talk about it versus sitting in the ground in a box. That's something that's important to me. You know, I have a very strong understanding of time, not only as a physical variable within um, my subject, but also as something that kind of gives you that sense of urgency for being alive. You know, the fact that time is, is limited and it's running out is kind of what gets you out of bed in the morning. And I, I want to give people as much of that as I can. I want to I use my knowledge to contribute to people more than to the textbook. And I think that's the right path for me. So I'm looking at some PhD programs, a couple online or one online program because there's only one in the entire world. Um, please pray for me to get into that because yeah, sure, <laughs> I, I would love to stay in Arkansas for a few more years, climb some mountains while going to online school. If I can't get in any medical physics school, um, schools, the backup plan is health physics. Health physics is similar to medical physics, though it's more broad. So a, a medical physicist is going to work in a doctor's office at a hospital, medical applications. Health physicists can work anywhere where radiation is involved to make sure that people aren't receiving, you know, 
levels of radiation that are harmful to them within any part of our society. So that can be someone working at a hospital, make sure that like a dentist office. Yeah, anything. Like, there's there's so many applications we could sit and we could do an entire podcast about where a health business could work. Okay, those are and that's um. My my heart tells me medicine, um, but I'm also willing to let go of my ego and kind of take a chance on something because physics has been my, it wasn't my first love, but it is with 100% without a shadow of a doubt, my, my true love. It is, you know, when I make decisions, the thought process in which I make them mirrors my problem-solving skills that I learned from that more so than anything else. Like, physics taught me how to be a human being. It taught me how to be a person. It taught me how to pay my bills, how to balance my checkbook, how to handle emotional Literally. situations, <laughs> how to handle death. I, I approach everything like I do a math problem, probably to a fault. But um, I'm willing to take a chance and give that a shot because those programs are cheaper and easier to get into. And fuck, grad school is hard. <laughs> All right, number three. This is honestly probably what's going to end up happening in the next two months of my life. Like I've said probably five times now, I'm willing to let my ego go and follow my heart. So I'm going to have you. I want you to name a couple different, I'm going to call them physical characteristics of things. And I'm going to start off because I want you all to get to this, this certain word before I reveal it to you. Okay. Things can be I like games. Cold, right? Right. They can be cold. You, you, so you could say they're frozen. Yep. Yeah. So what are some other situations you might find a particular physical object finding itself in? Rephrase the question. What are some, like, if, if I was to give you, let's just say, it like, be, a baseball. Tell me some things that you would say to describe the physical situation that that baseball finds itself in. Wet. Frozen. What are oh, okay. some other words? What, how could you describe that baseball in terms of its physical Hot, okay. burning. Burning. Okay. Fire. Okay. Guys, I'm going to be a firefighter. Dude, a I killed it. I killed it, man. Hot and burning. Yep. Where's my prize? <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, awesome, I'll buy you a can of pineapples. That's awesome, though. <laughs> so, um, I know you've been in the gym a lot lately. Yep. I know it's uh, physically demanding, and you have to like pass like a physical exam. Like, yep. I bought my study guide for the entry level knowledge exam today. The test is um, June seventeenth, June second, sometime in June. Um, I've reworked my workout plan to really get my cardiovascular endurance up. Matt's doing it with me. So yeah, Matt might be, end up being a firefighter. Dude, but, Matt's a firefighter. Yeah, I'm, Dude, you know, that's cool, man. The pay is, is not what I'm making now, and it's certainly not what I could be making. I've applied to about 20, 25. Once I decided that the job I'm at now isn't for me, I went ahead and put my application into all kinds of engineering firms, technician jobs within the central Arkansas area. And I mean... I'm talking like a factor of two in terms of the pay, but my heart right now is really telling me, like, come just just go for it. Like money, I, I know one day the money's gonna be there. You know, I, I know that I have the work ethic to make sure that I am financially stable for the rest of my life. That's, but there's just something about having that camaraderie within you know like a fire station that I haven't had at my last couple jobs because the corporate nature of engineering firms sucks you know it's not that the people hate their job but the hours are long the problems are difficult it you don't have that you know hey bro kind of 
mentality. Let's get this done and go home. And the reason that's affected me so much more is because I know what that camaraderie is like because I've been in the military for four years. You've played on a basketball team. I've played on basketball teams. I've went on three, four-day hikes with my friends. So I don't like that, you know, I go to work and I spend five minutes talking to people. That, that bothers me because I'm not a very personal person. I'm very reserved, very introverted, but everyone has a baseline in terms of what they need in terms of communicating with other human beings just to stay healthy. You have, you have so many thoughts, in your, especially in our society now when we're going 1,000 miles an hour. You just, you just need to talk about your day to people. And if I'm subjected to 10 hours of silence at work on top of all that stress, f- fuck that. I'd rather go just you know fight fires and you know not to sound like a patriot, but you know risk my life. It, there's a higher calling there. Yeah. I feel like I could come home more satisfied. Yeah, and, and you would have that camaraderie with the guys that you're going out there risking your life with. Yeah, definitely. And you know, I'm I've taken my health seriously the last few years, and I feel like I continue to get more and more into it. How I eat, how I train, how I prepare my body, and not only in you know just like getting in the gym and eating right, but what kind of thought processes do I allow myself to have? Where is my mental health at? And I feel like, you know, getting with like-minded men within my age group that have kind of the same, maybe not calling in terms, like I might like physics and basketball. This other person might like kinesiology and baseball, but our direction is similar. So I can vibe with them. I can, I can pick up on their energy. I can, you yeah. know, let them motivate me. Just simply having a vision. It's like I've found that because uh, I'm the same way. Like I want to surround my people or I just want to surround myself with profound people that are that I feel like are interesting. And those people, I feel like um, the ones that I've ran across that I vibe with, they all seem to have some type of vision. It may, it's obviously not going to be my vision. But it's like moving towards something greater. I'm all about like surrounding myself with people that, that have that vision. Yeah, definitely. I, I know for a fact that the job I'm going to retire from is not anyone that I'm going to get in the next three months because I'm at some point in my life or another, I will have a, a higher level of education, whether it be a master's, a PhD, or some kind of graduate certificate, whatever it might be, in physics. I just That's one of my lifelong goals. So if I'm going to devote two or three, four or five years to a job while I prepare myself to either get that education on the side or dive into it full time. You know, I can either make some corporate asshole 200 million in an engineering firm, or I could, you know, have the opportunity to give back to a community that's given so much to me. I mean, there's a fire station right around the corner from my house. Yeah. I, I know if my house was ever going down in, in five minutes, I'd have someone there with the knowledge and initiative to protect me, the people I care about and, you know, my guitars. Yeah, my guitar, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The CFD, baby. So, yeah, I'm going for it over the course of the next few months. I'm going to try and get into the fire department and then just, yeah, that, that takes us to today. Here I am. <laughs> there you go. That was Blake's week. We just finished talking upbringing. about our week. <laughs> yeah. He kind of uh, got into his upbringing and, you know, what he's doing and yeah, everything. Dude. Let's just go back. Let's just go back over what he said and we'll touch on some things that we want more detail about okay so i like you can i didn't know almost a lot of that stuff about you blake like i i'd say i don't even we and gary were talking about it and blake was talking about it. i don't even know when i met blake i i have no idea i can't even remember the first time i met him was it was it when i was in alaska and then blake came no, over trying to play my well. guitar no no it, it, it was before that it was before that we were in high we, school because we played uh we played magic together. 
Oh, that's right. That's well, right. I definitely know that I met you at least by the time we were sophomores because we had that little rave party thing at your dad's house. Okay, yeah. So I, I we... definitely knew you then. When did we start playing Magic the Gathering? That was like, that was like this, this is senior later. year. Oh, it? it was before that? Okay, yeah. Well, maybe that was it. No, I had met you before, but that's when we we actually hung out. Because we went over to Marcus's house and played Magic, yeah. and then you came over to Gary's and played Magic. No, we went to this... I, I mean at that, at that rave party thing that Gary threw. Yeah, I, I guess that's where... That, that's where that might met. have been it. Yeah. I don't remember... But then ever. really started hanging out when we played, when we started playing Magic. Yeah, and yeah. then when I moved to Conway, I was always over at y'all's place, you know, me and Gary playing guitar while sleeping on the section. Yeah. But, yeah. And see... I guess that, that, Blake, yeah, that's probably it. I remember Blake, uh, I came to school and he was just like on the basketball team and then, I, like, I played football in the eighth grade. It was in the eighth grade, I'm pretty sure. Did you, you, you didn't come in the seventh grade, did you? No, no. So, yeah, so I started eighth. in the eighth grade. So I, I had seen Blake, and I had I didn't really have any classes with him, but I, I saw him on the basketball team. So when I switched over from football to basketball in my eighth grade year, which would have been, oh, Lord. 2009. 2009? 2009, okay. Um, Ten years ago. Man, yep. that's wild. But anyways, yeah, we just we just <laughs> vibed really well. We went to we went to Harding. Okay, public we, service announcement. This is y'all's twenty seventh episode of this for yes. my ambiguous, invisible internet audience. Um, in junior high school, Garrett was an asshole. No, I was not. <laughs> yes, no, he I was. was not. <laughs> See, people people thought that people. I had people uh, tell Garrett, me half of Faulkner County still thinks that. Van Buren <laughs> County, you mean? Most of us have moved to Faulkner now. That's true. Oh, Gary was a weird cat. <laughs> uh, I, I love you, man. But you, you're you're kind of a dick those first couple months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, he can't even deny. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I. I don't feel like I was. But anyways, we. Uh, I feel like we vibed when we went to Harding and played yeah, basketball. That's definitely. when we started. That's when we kind of started uh, being a little bit closer. And then when you started playing music, that's when the that's when the the bond got a little yeah. bit stronger. It went from like sure. a close associate to now like you're probably someone I'll talk to for the rest of my life. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I remember I remember the night that we played guitar for the first time for un- unspeakable reasons. <coughs> yeah, about that. That's that's uh, casual conversations after dark. Yeah, casual we- <laughs> conversations after dark. <laughs> we don't need to discuss. Yeah. But that dude that like I remember you, you were kind of testing me. You were kind of testing me because you've been playing guitar for a while. When did you the start heart, playing guitar? The heart. Um, I started playing November fifteenth, two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. So this was I in, know it to the day. This was in December two thousand fourteen. Was the first time that we played. Yep. And so we we uh were kind of back in my room, you know, picking around or whatever. And you were kind of testing me. You were like. All right, what well, you know? What like play an A bar chord like with the root note? Like, what what is the root note of that? It's like, yeah. And so like when you asked me that, and I actually knew what you were talking about, it was like, okay, you know, yeah, you're not just. I, uh, I really didn't know. I mean, yeah. like I knew you were playing guitar, but I didn't know if you actually knew what was going on. And so once we kind of, it's it's almost like we had a, uh, which I mean, you were you were considerably better than me, so I was gonna seek you out as as kind of a mentor. Yeah. And I saw the value there. But it's almost like we kind of gained that that mutual respect of okay, he's 
not just somebody that can play songs and, and mimic and regurgitate like yeah. you're talking it's, it's about. It's kind of like, you know, you can tell, especially with athletes, like you, you go watch like a middle school basketball game, you're like, okay, that, that kid's going to be on the B team. That kid's going to score 20 a game. Like I knew from the get-go just because of you know, your approach to music and just kind of the, the natural flow you had with it that, you know, maybe you were a beginner then, but at some point, you know, you were going to be an aficionado to say the least. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I'll take Gary, that. Gary Van Halen's what I call. I'll take I'll take that. I'm nothing nothing like Eddie Van Halen, but uh not not many people yeah, are. Yeah, not many people are. No, but Blake Blake was one of the first uh people that played in front of me that I was close to that I was like, Wow. Like he kinda wowed me. I was like, he's yeah. really, he's really good. I do remember that. I don't even know probably you just came over and were playing guitar with Gary. And uh, I was like, man, Blake is completely shredding right now. And it was just, I don't know. I never knew anyone that was, and it, you know, you were very good, but I'm not saying you were like the greatest guitar player ever, but <laughs> you were the greatest guitar player I'd ever known, like personally knew. I'll take that. Yeah. And, and it was awesome just to watch you, you know, do your thing. And see, we, like I had seen, before I saw Blake, I had seen Drew Payne play and Drew was good. Don't get me wrong. Drew was good. And he Blake, had Blake his own. was different than Drew. Like they played completely different. Yeah, though. yeah. Uh, um, and it was like Blake, even Coda Ramsey. I had seen Coda Ramsey play, and Coda's good. Coda's yeah, he, a yeah, good he's guitar good. player. Yeah. But I saw I saw Blake play, and it was just he was so much more technical. You could tell that there was a lot more uh, structure, I guess, to his playing because he was just ripping like rock solos and like yeah. blue like yeah. it was just like i i died when my dad died i you know i didn't really have a lot of friends yet i dove like head first into youtube everything guitar so like, i was like three months in couldn't play a bar chord but i was like yeah fuck it let's learn the pentatonic <laughs> <laughs> that's why i think i liked uh i was so intrigued by blake playing is because you played the same kind of music that i liked like yeah. you played like heavy not heavy metal but heavy rock and metal music just kind of like the fast, you know, free-flowing uh, style. Yeah. And I thought that was so cool just because that, that was like my favorite kind of music. And then you were just over there ripping it. And I, yeah. I don't know. That was so intriguing to me. It was... Long uh, live rock and roll. Yeah, long live rock and roll. That was a time, though, man. We, uh, we only played two, two shows. Yeah. One show we had a ton of people show up, made like seventy bucks a piece, and then the <laughs> yeah. second show it snowed, nobody showed up. <laughs> it, it was like three of our friends. Yeah, yeah. But I will say this is one thing y'all can probably both back me up on this. Music is hard. Like the amount that you have to practice, like at least like in a group. When you're in college, trying to balance that, I didn't realize how much of a commitment that was going to be up front. But like that was tough like it even was. for what we were doing because we were practicing probably only two or three nights a week for an hour and a half two hours but you have to take into account packing your stuff up driving your stuff yep warming drive. up cooling down packing your stuff i mean an hour practice turns into a two hour two and a half hour ordeal and then it's something that you hang around and you talk afterwards because you're friends it's yeah. like it's a it's an ordeal man and then trying to find gigs and then play gigs and schedule on top of majoring in some of the stuff that we majored that was very intensive. It was just, I, I'm glad that we did it. And I don't have any, like, I don't, I don't lay in bed at night thinking, wow, we should have got more out of that. Like, even though it was only two shows, like, we still played at a bar in a town of 70,000 people and, and made some money. Like, yeah, dude. 99.9% of people will never have that experience. Yeah. I, and 
and I've played I've played some uh, like cancer benefits. I've played yeah. a fire a firehouse benefit with my family. Um, it's it's something else, man, to get in front of people and and express yourself to to people. I don't know. Yeah. There's just something about it. But uh, that's kind of my plan when I go up to Springfield. I've been I've been practicing. Well, I practice every day the guitar, but I've been trying to organize like a, a list of songs, and I'm gonna go up. And I was looking yesterday as I was driving around. There's a lot of live music opportunities up yeah. there. Yeah, I'll tell you what you need to get, bro. It's a well. First of all, you need to get a pedal board with yeah. like different kind of pedals. Like, well, you have a looper and stuff, but it's called like a a harmonic pedal. And you hook it up to your microphone, and when you're singing, you can pick a tone of harmony that you want to sing. So, like, it'll it'll reflect what you're singing through the wow. amp in a different uh in a different harmony. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was watching. Uh, it might have been a couple years ago. We went on a cruise, and the dude that was playing the live music, he had one, and I was like, "Who is singing with this guy?" Because he's like the only <laughs> yeah. guy up there. And I saw him kept he kept clicking. Uh, a pedal on the thing so I went up and asked him he's like yeah dude you can get one of these at Guitar Center you know it's like any other pedal but it like adds, awesome. a, adds a different mm. layer to your vocals That's all, that is cool yeah so it, I mean it's more conducive to a single performer like if you were just playing by yourself yeah like playing a show by yourself if you didn't have somebody with you that's definitely what I'm gonna do just gonna do like a, an acoustic solo act I need to get a I need to get an amp first an acoustic amp yeah but anyways yeah so music was a music was a big part of of Blake and I's friendship, and I I agree we got a lot out of of playing music, although it wasn't for too long. I feel like I feel like in the future we'll play more. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like college. I mean, it's they've said this college is the most stressful time of your life, and I mean I'm still in college. It's tough for me to. Well, I'm not technically in college right now, but yeah, I'm I'm not making any moves. Uh, to to move my schedule around because I know that I'm fixing to right. be right back in college. Right. So yeah, I don't know. And I I've thought about what I'm gonna do as far as school after um nutrition, like and becoming a dietitian and whatnot. Because like I've been working in the hospital for about almost two years now, and it's I mean I, th- I think it's something that I want to progress even further as maybe we can work at the same hospital yeah I'm, play for people on lunch break yeah I, hey, we're gonna play eruption <laughs> i know you're terminal but you know terminal, but your rigs do erupt baby that joke gosh. was classless but so be it yeah no one that listens this can see my face so <laughs> if you haven't listened to eruption by eddie van halen please go go and do yourself a favor no do yourself that- a favor Something else that I wanted to uh, talk about, though, is we also went on a trip, a legendary trip to the Grand Canyon. And I've talked a little bit about it with uh, Marcus when he came on. I've talked about it uh, with uh, Miss Rooney when she came on. I don't know if you know Miss Rooney. Yeah. But uh, just talk about about, uh, the experience. We want to hear it from your your viewpoint. Where to begin? Talk, yeah. Start, start <laughs> with like how it got planned because it was just it like it came out of nowhere. At least for me, like you and Marcus had been talking about it for a while, but then one day you were just like, "Man, you want to go to the Grand Canyon?" Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. Why not? So the Grand Canyon ride. So I don't know what day we left on, but 
I remember this period of my life very well because I traveled like nine states in two days because we drove from Arkansas through Texas, Oklahoma, New Mexico, Arizona. And when we came back, I then drove through Memphis, or not Memphis, I'm sorry, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama, into Georgia. Nine states in like 20 hours. It was insane. I don't know. My, my that sounds car, like a terrible time. Yeah. My, <laughs> if my car had just spontaneously combusted, like, I probably would have just left it where it was and let it be because it went through a lot. It did go through a lot. So it, right now, anyone that hears this, I encourage you to get on your web browser and Google hardest trails in the United States. And I will give any of you $25 cash um, if you can find one that does not have the Bright Angel Trail listed in the top five. Um, that's the trail that we took down into the Grand Canyon. And it was crazy. Um, if, if, you've, if you've never been to that part of the United States, like the desert rocky kind of thing, it, it will take your breath away. And like, I mean that. Like, so many people just say, it's a hole. Like, what are you missing? Dude, not all holes are made the same. Not <laughs> all holes are the same. Uh, <laughs> this hole is different. This hole has character and attitude. It's, it's almost personifiable. Because it's one of those things, it's kind of like the first time you see a really big mountain. You're like, I just, it's like you can't even comprehend how something that big got there. It's like, you're just like, every night, you know, I run myself a shower. And it's crazy to think that that same action, just running water, something that I do, washing my hands, pouring myself a glass of water, taking a shower, washing clothes, things that you take advantage five or six times a day, did that. And you're just like, Man, I'm cutting my water off because if, who knows what else it's capable of. Yeah, that's wild. It is. It is. It, we slept in the parking lot. We got there, what, like 2.30, 3 a.m. We just yeah, slept we in made the parking good time. lot. We did. We made really good time. This is the thing about the Grand Canyon. I, I have to rant about this, so nobody please interrupt me because this has been on my mind for the last two years. I think about it at least once a week. Okay, the Grand Canyon is a big lie because when you look at it, you're like, okay, it's like a hole. And then you start to hike down into it. And you go at a good angle, and then it flattens out, and you think, okay, I've made it. And then it, you angle down again, and it flattens out, and you think you've made it. No. And it angles down again, and then it flattens out. You're like, all right, now I'm fucking tired of walking. <laughs> and it does, this, it does it four times. I know because I have four pictures on my phone of every time when we were hiking out, I thought I had made it. So <laughs> eventually you get to the point where you can hear the Colorado River, and that's when you really know you've made it. Um, you know, we got down there. Hung out for a while, set up our campsite. Had an interesting night at the river. For sure. And then the next day we went to hike out. And um, those four different sections of going down and leveling up, going down and leveling up, all of a sudden became pretty much a a walk towards... I never thought I was going to make it. Like, I was completely... (laughs) You thought you were going to die right there? 16 hours before, I had walked down the entire thing. And you could not have convinced me for all the money in the world that I was ever getting out of the Grand Canyon. Even though I knew exactly how long it took me to get in, even though I knew exactly where my car was parked, I was convinced that it was going to go forever. Because <laughs> every time I would think I was about to crest over the top and be like, finally I'm here. It's like, nope, you're a canyon within a canyon within, within a, a canyon. canyon. That's what it, it is, man. It just goes forever. And at a certain point, I just couldn't keep up. Gary was like, I'm just going to go on ahead. All right, cool. So Gary goes ahead. I'm at my own pace. Marcus is like on the other side of the Grand Canyon at this point. He's so far yeah, behind. He was like two hours behind me. <laughs> I was walking like 10, sex, 10, 10 steps and then stopping 
to take a rest because I was just so tired. And then I got mad because there was like eight-year-old girls like, do you need me to carry something? And I was like, no, you need to get your dad down here to kick me in the chest right off this ledge a thousand feet so that I can stop climbing this stupid freaking canyon. And I just went and went and went and I get to the top. And I'm like, I'm so happy to be up there. And like, <laughs> Gary's asleep in his sleeping bag on a picnic table. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I just drop all my stuff and I just sit there. And at that moment, I realized that, you know, the circle is by far my least favorite shape. I'm all for rectangles and triangles, but I'm done with circles. They'll never be the same to me. And I'm never going back to Arizona. It's, <laughs> o- it's over. <laughs> It's we over. we knew that Marcus was like way behind us, so we just got on the bus and we went and got Blake's car because it was like they had to we we hiked in one way and came out another way. Yeah. And oh, so we had quick to, quick point of order. You know, there's no service in the bottom of the Grand Canyon, but once I got about a mile and a half from the top, I was able to turn my phone back on. And Gary's dad texted me and was like, "Is Gary okay?" And I was like, "I mean, I don't know, but I'm about to kill myself." <laughs> it matters to you. That's what you texted him back. <laughs> no, I, I. Oh. I think I was like, I don't remember what I said. I think, I think it was like, he's ahead of me, or just I probably got like four likes and fuck you or something. Like, <laughs> I don't know. It was no, dude. That um, might still be on my phone. The uh, the mules. The mules kept walking by. Dude. I wanted to climb on one so bad, but it was so cold. That was the issue, man. Like you would stop, yeah, but it was so cold that like when you'd stop for too long, you'd it was start snowing. freezing, and like, then you just were it was walking seventy in. the day before, and then like I was walking up, like it's snowing, really? It snowed four inches. Like add salt to injury, four inches, four inches. It snowed. That's in crazy the, in the Grand Canyon. That was that I am that is one of the best mistakes I've ever made in my life. Like looking back now, like no one on earth could convince me to do that again. Like I would go back, but I would need some time to hang out at the bottom. Like, yeah. Like we, I couldn't get there at four in the afternoon and then leave eight the next morning. We we got there at three AM in the morning, woke up, ate breakfast, hiked down in, fell asleep, or well, went down on the like hung out on the river and then fell asleep. Woke up, hiked out, ate, and then left and went back. That's literally <laughs> what we did, bro. Like there, it was just bang. I bang, thought y'all bang, stayed bow. longer than that. No, uh, we just hiked uh, down in there, hiked out, and then went. Like people are like, "Wait, you didn't even like enjoy anything?" I was like, "Yeah, we enjoyed the whole process, but yeah, well, that's what we did. We went to hike the Bright Angel Trail, and by God, that's what we did. Indeed, we." We did it, I, and you can't convince me otherwise. That's the most physically challenging thing that I've ever put my body through. Yeah. I've spent four years in the Marine Corps infantry, and it's never challenged me to that level of physical endurance. For short periods of time, yes, but like such a long mental grind, like knowing nobody's coming to get me. I'm stuck right here. If I sit down, <laughs> this is where I die. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares enough. Yeah, uh, man. It was, it was good. It was really good. You you have to go on a hike with me. You said you'd go on a hike with me before I go, before I leave. Yeah, to the Grand Canyon? No, not to the Grand Canyon. We'll go to Pinnacle or something. Okay. You ever been to Pinnacle? Yeah, I've been to Pinnacle. Yeah. And you've been to Pettyjean too, haven't you? Yeah. Just for context, you can fit three you and a half. You've been to Forked Mountain. We'll go to Forked Mountain. It's not far. Okay. But just okay. for context, just for context, you can fit three and a half Pinnacles in the Grand Canyon, top to bottom. It's, yeah. it's that deep. Yeah, it's, it's massive. Deep. It's mad. I'll go to the Grand Canyon. 
We'll go back to the Grand Canyon one of these days. I'll we go back, go, and I'll dude, go to the Grand Canyon. Yeah, send me pictures. Get, I'm not going. Like you're going, and you own your own business, and I'm like dieteticing people or whatever you want to call it. We gotta start skiing some. Ski. I'll go skiing. Dude, I love snowboard. Any, I don't have any cash right yeah, now. Yeah, that's why I said when you own <laughs> your own business, you're gonna be an entrepreneur one day. Entrepreneur. We're yeah, gonna dude. have so many sponsors for this podcast, and you're gonna like build a studio and do whatever you want. I will start making YouTube videos. What kind of YouTube videos I'm gonna start making? Dude, start eating deodorant. Yeah, exactly. Start eating eight glass, bro. Dude, if you eat, <laughs> eat your glass, guitar. you're guaranteed to get views. Pay two thousand. What we were talking about last episode, you you'll get paid two thousand dollars to eat glass. You might as well do it on this episode. That it was two thousand like per million views. Yeah, bro, you'll take off if you eat glass. That's true. <laughs> I, no, thirty so, eight glass. So I gotta eat something else, but. No. Anyways, um, so there were some things that you wanted to talk about, Blake, as yes. far as uh, physics goes. I'm going to let Will, Will, before I go on a physics rant, you want to hop in with any questions? No, actually, I have some, I have some questions about physics. Okay, I'll let ask. you go first then. Warm me up. Okay. Because you... we're about to get deep, gentlemen. <laughs> deep. Okay. Uh, well, to start it off, okay, me and Gary, especially me, are obviously physics noobs. And I would say noob. Noob. And I would say 100% of the people that listen to this will be physics noobs. So just to start out, if for somebody that's never heard anything about physics, what would be a piece of literature that you would tell somebody to look at? Just to give them a, like a basic foundation. I mean, not even get in-depth. I mean, I know it's, it's complicated. I say not get in-depth with physics. I know it's a complicated subject matter, but just something to, you know, like they can dip their toe in the in the pool or is there no dip in your toe you just have to jump in yeah definitely so the starting piece of literature would be the Feynman lectures on physics Richard Feynman is without a shadow of a doubt the greatest American scientist to ever walk the face of the earth um, he's one of the 10 greatest physicists to ever live um, and probably one of the 10 greatest educators to ever live he's the guy that's the smartest person in the room um, that knows 10 times more than you ever will but can convince you that you'll know twice as much as he does by the time the lecture's over. Wow. In, wow. in terms of like giving information to people in a way that they can accept it, uh, I, I can, I'm biased by this because he's one of my favorite people, just people to ever live. Um, his, his Feynman series, it, obviously the subject matter is always going to be difficult. It's one of the more broad sciences that we have. Um, but he, he verses it in a way where you can understand it. Because, you know, 99% of people are never going to derive wave equations. Um, but 99% of the people that read Richard Feynman's books will understand why light behaves the way it does. 99% of people will never be able to solve the Schrodinger equation or understand the Heisenberg uncertainty principle. But 99% of people that read Richard Feynman are, are going to understand why quantum uh, acts the way that it acts. You know, uh, Endgame just hit like $2 billion, the new Avengers movie. And half of that stuff is not even possible. Or like, we're not even having the conversation about things like that uh, without the work of Richard Feynman. So the Feynman lectures, highly recommend. They're like 20 bucks online. Read them. Feynman? Feynman? F-I-N-E-M-A-N? F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. F-E-Y-N-M-A-N. Feynman. Feynman. Okay. If you're interested interested in learning a little bit about physics, go check it out. I'm not even necessarily interested in so, physics, but I want to because I just want to I want to dabble in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's it's like for you. My some Paxton was telling me this other day. I go through hobbies a lot, and I go through 
different things a lot. It's like I'm not an expert about on anything, but I like to dabble in different things. It's like it's like oh, well, I don't have a favorite pie, but I like you know I kind of want a piece of cherry pie or right. I want a piece of pumpkin pie. It's like yeah. <laughs> it's like I want to know the to where I can have uh not an intelligent conversation, but have a conversation with somebody about physics. Like yeah. I don't want them to start saying something that they're it it'd be like. It, it's, it'd be like you're missing out on something. Because what if I never met somebody and I start talking to them and they're like, yeah, I'm super into physics, I'm super into this, and I'm, be, I'm just sitting there like, oh, well, I can't really, I can't get to know them because yeah. I, I can't talk to them about what they enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I want right. to be able to dabble in all these different things so that if I meet someone or somebody, you know, a coworker, a friend, whatever, what have you, that I can, I can talk to them about something that they enjoy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So before you ask another question, will for people that are like don't even know what physics is, like what is physics? Give okay. us a brief a brief little description of what so physics is. So instead of building up a definition of physics, I'm going to break down definitions of other subjects and use that to define what physics is. Okay. Um because it, it kind of has a tiered system. Um I'm going to start with biology, right? That's how we describe Life, how we describe environments, ecosystems, things of that nature. Um, but what really is biology? Biology, generally speaking, is applied chemistry. When you take enough chemistry and mix it together in a pot, you start to get biology. You know, elements become um, like tissues and living organisms and things of that nature. But all those living organisms... All those, um, all the things that make up our environment can be broken down into smaller chemical parts. The elements, the bonds, all the stuff that you learn about in chemistry. Well, when you start to break chemistry apart, you start to get particles. Things like protons, neutrons, and electrons. <clears throat> those are your constituents for physics. Those are your, you know, if physics is your highway, then the particles are your cars. Um, and, and the whole system is your biology. Yeah, so if you, if you applied physics as chemistry, applied chemistry is biology. Applied bi- biology can be any different number of things. You know, yeah. Once you start opening up that psychology, because biology psychology, somehow gains right. consciousness. Yeah, definitely. And then just the whole business aspect. When you, you, know, when you take a biological creature and then you know, give it freedom from um, needing to fight for its survival every day, and then you watch it develop. Like, it's crazy to think of that, just how much marketing we're exposed to on a day-to-day basis. I know. Like, there, there are so many different things going into our day-to-day lives that we don't realize, like just the objects in this room. You know, like someone spent like six years designing the font that was used for the name on that guitar amp so that you could market it to people. Backtracking away from that, Physics is kind of the opposite of that. Physics is, is the building blocks of reality itself, and it's a mathematical description of how those things interact with each other. All of physics boils down to four things, and these four different things explain everything that has ever happened up until the first three trillionths of a second after the Big Bang, but that's not important. That's a whole other podcast. So pretty much since the dawn of time, the universe has been dictated by four forces. These four forces are what make things do things, and obviously for things to happen, things have to happen. Um, You have gravity. 
the weakest of the four forces. Gravity is how things get pulled together. Right? I, I feel like most people have a pretty good understanding of what yeah, gravity is. Yeah, for sure. I'm with you so far. <laughs> the next force, electromagnetism. Electromagnetism is the force that gives us electricity and that gives us magnetism, a la magnets. They are two sides of the same coin. As weird as it seems, until you really dive into the math, you don't understand, but just understand like the same, the phenomenon of electricity is the same phenomenon of magnetism. So you have that set. The reason that's important is because light is part of electromagnetism. So everything we can see comes from that force. The interaction between photons, which is the particle of light interacting with your optic nerve, sending signals to your brain, the thing gets, you know, turned into the image that you see um, in your head. Those are the two that most people have a pretty good, you know, most people, if you were to say, hey, you know what electricity is, right? I would hope they would say yes. Same thing for gravity, same thing for magnets. Um, and then you start to get a little more Abstract. off into the, Yeah. The next one up is the weak nuclear force. And what the weak nuclear force is, it's the force that determines how elements turn into other elements. So if you take a hydrogen, uh, or a helium, I'm sorry, and you split it into two hydrogens by some kind of radioactive decay, that happens by the weak nuclear force. What the weak nuclear force does, it has these little, these little, I'll call them soldiers. They're particles, but they go and they find an element, and they go in there and they say, hey, I'm tired of you being this element. Turn into the other element. And the element's like, well, now you got me. And so they do it, and then the little soldier runs away, and you're left with two different elements. That's the weak nuclear force in a nutshell. And then you have the strong nuclear force. And the strong nuclear force is what holds um, elements together. It doesn't make any sense without the strong nuclear force for an atom to even exist. Because you have the protons and the neutrons that are binded together in the nucleus. And then you have all the electrons flying around. But there's no reason for those protons and neutrons to be attracted to each other. Except there is. It's the strong nuclear force. Um, the reasons why that happens have won numerous people, numerous Nobel Prizes for research into it. Um, it is way beyond my in-depth. right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, can, I can scratch the surface, but what's going on in there is almost beyond human comprehension. It's, you know, it's like, how do you explain Jimi Hendrix playing guitar? It's like it, it pretty much just happens, man. Like you just kind of got to sit back and just experience it. Like there's maybe two or three people on earth that can see what he's doing and really understand why it is that affects people the way it affects people. Likewise, the reason that the universe holds itself together, I mean, I'm not the most religious person. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you want. But just understand that that's what happens. That's what physics is. It's these four different forces acting on everything in the universe to make it do what it does. That's really all it boils down to. It's just how we describe I mean, reality. Physics is like the language, like of the mathematical language describing how those forces interact and yeah, how so we have what we have in front of us. Physics is the story. Math is how you tell the story, you know? Okay. Math is what, that's how we communicate the ideas. We know what's happening. Math is how we put it on paper, how we make it universal, how we make it standard. You know, one is here, one is equal to one here, one is equal to one in New York, one is equal to one at the farthest expanse of the universe. It creates a baseline for us to communicate ideas that encompasses the entirety of our existence. Without that, you have no way to communicate, you know. 
you create a language barrier. You know, you obviously can't speak to someone that only knows how to speak Chinese. I'm assuming you can't speak Chinese. Yeah, I can't speak. Right. Math is how we get rid of that. You know, it makes it universal. Wow. Dang. That just that just blows my mind. Anyways, continue with oh. your, your questions, Will. Oh, okay. That, that was that was a lot more in depth description of physics than I anticipated. <laughs> it's, it's important to understand where you're starting from, or you'll get lost where you're going, especially yeah. with this topic. Okay, so that that kind of leads into this other thing I, I wanted to ask you about, Blake. Yes, sir. So recently on the news, I bet a bunch of people have seen it. Is the uh, I guess I guess they were physicists or they were scientists, astrophysicists, whatever. It was yep. they finally had a picture of a black hole now i'm sure everybody's heard of a black hole you've seen it in sci-fi movies and whatnot but what i want to know is why have they never like why they never been able to capture an image of one because we have you know telescopes and things like that that can that can you know reach to the outermost parts of the universe and then why is it such a big deal that they Yep. Saw that basically okay. is what I'm saying. Describe what a black hole yeah, is. Yeah, well, well, tell us what a black hole is first. This is, but to me, just as an, an like in a bystander onlooker, it they were making a huge deal of it, and I didn't understand why. Yep. And I'm not discounting it at all, but you yep. you get what I'm saying. I don't understand why that was. So two fantastic questions. I have two fantastic answers as well as a short description of what a black hole is. And what's going to make this even better is I'm not even going to talk about math to answer any of these questions. So anyone that listens to this that has, you know, a basic level of critical thinking skills is going to be able to understand what I'm going to say. First, let's start with what a black hole is. <clears throat> so imagine you have a bed. And when you sit on the bed, you compress it a certain amount. It dips. The heavier you are, the more it dips. Well, that bed only has a certain amount that it can dip before it hits the floor. When it hits the floor, it's bottomed out. Think of the universe like that. Think of space itself as a bed. We see it as empty, but in reality, it's, you, can, you can move it, you can contort it, you can twist it. Um, the way that you do that is by having mass. That's essentially what the force of gravity is. When you sit on space, it's the same thing as sitting on a bed. Anything that's near you on the bed you know, an orange, a remote, your keys, any, anything that might be happening to sit near to you, it's going to get pulled in by that compression because it's going to roll down that slope. Yeah, yeah. That's what happens out in the universe. That's why we're rotating around the sun because the sun has compressed space and we're just rolling around kind of like a toilet bowl. And we're just, we're just at the perfect distance where we don't get sucked in, but we don't escape. So we just keep rotating around it. What a black hole is, when you get a star big enough, um, and the correct composition of elements, the, cor- the correct physical variables, the right density, the right heat, um, you can get what's called a supernova explosion when, it, um, when the star dies. You know, I've talked earlier about that R process. That R process is what feeds the stars. When you have nuclear fusion, um, you create energy by that process. When you make a new element, um, you give off energy. The reasons why binding energy, if anyone cares, just a quick little note here. If you want to know why that is, just look up binding energy. Um, but just know as you continue to make these new elements, you give off energy. Once you get to iron, you take in energy. Um, it takes more energy to create iron um, than it does all the others. 
So once, uh, once you make more and more iron and it starts to build up, the star doesn't have enough energy to go by that. And then eventually it says, fuck this, and blows up in a giant explosion beyond anything that the human mind can comprehend. And when all that explodes, it creates kind of a... Um, I'm trying to think of what the word would be. Like a vacuum. Um, and it falls back in on itself. And it falls back in on itself with such intensity that it compresses the same way that a really heavy person compresses a bed as far as space can be compressed. So the same way that if you put, you know, a 900-pound guy on a bed and he just goes straight to the floor, that's what happens when a really big star dies. It takes space itself and it just crunches it up as small as it can possibly be. So when you think about taking a Walmart sack and then just pushing it down to the size of a grain of sand. And when that happens, you have all that mass. And remember, mass is what causes gravity, you know, because it compresses space and things roll towards it the same thing that the same way that things roll towards you on your bed. But now you have all that mass of this giant, giant star. I'm talking big enough to dictate an entire set of orbits in a solar system packed into something so small. We call it in physics the singularity. It's the smallest that we can get that is allowed by math. So if you were to take a meter stick, that would be one meter, right? Now, right. Throw, now throw 34 zeros in front of it. That's how big a black hole is. 34 zeros and then a one. So point zero 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 one meters. It's so small that you can't even comprehend it. It's, it's beyond human comprehension. The, our could, it, brain, could it ever be seen through a microscope? No. It couldn't? It's that small? No, it's, it's literally impossible to be seen. By anything that we have. Yes. That's C- crazy. Completely impossible. Think how small it is. <laughs> it, what, what you're asking, Will, is that's like saying, can we go the speed of light? No, the speed of light is the speed of light because it's light. Not a Will, not a Gary, not a Blake, not a Toyota Camry. It's light. That's why it goes that fast. <laughs> you can't, there's nothing that can see or get that small because that is the fundamental limit of what life allows, of what the universe allows. How do they know it's that small if no way can see it? Lots and lots and oh, lots of math. So that's where the math. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Like so, so much math. I, I'm talking hundreds of pages, um, but it all works out in the end. You <laughs> now crazy. have the math. You now have a star 1,500 times the size of the sun compressed down into that little space. <laughs> that's insane, dude. Gravity loses its fucking mind. <laughs> it just blows through the roof. Because now all that force is all compacted in that area. So now when you get close to it, it's game over. You're just getting sucked right in. That's essentially what a black hole is. You have a pocket in space that is so compressed and so pissed off from being compressed that anything that gets close enough is coming in. Anything that's outside is safe. Anything that's in is never coming back out. That's essentially what a black hole is. It's just a big cosmic toilet of hell. And it destroys everything in its path. Because gravity, at that point, become, gravity is the weakest force. You know? If gravity was super strong, you would just be ripped apart by all the planets in the solar system. You know? you, it, kinda, it, it makes logical sense. If what keeps your molecules together isn't stronger than what pulls your molecules apart, you wouldn't be here. So it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of built yeah. in. In a black hole, that all goes away. It, it literally rips things into pure energy. So that's, that's a kind of elongated answer of what a black hole is. But it's important to understand that so that I can answer Will's question about why is that important. So why haven't we taken a picture of a black hole yet? 
So, let me start with a few things. So the, the black hole that we took a picture of was um, at the center of a supergiant galaxy known as Messier 87 or M87. That's just kind of the way that astrophysicists designate different solar systems. So it's somewhere out there. We call it M87. Um, that black hole weighs about six and a half billion times as much as our sun does. Um, six and a half billion times yeah, and weighs as much? And it's... Yeah, so there's that much mass packed into that small of a space, if you're wondering why gravity is so strong. How? The event How horizon. Happened? When I was saying a minute ago, um, if you reach a certain point, you get sucked in. If you're outside of it, you're good. That's called the event horizon. Um, that is 25 billion miles wide. So if you get within 25 billion miles of it, you're going to die. <laughs> That's 25 wait, billion 25 miles? 25 billion with yeah, miles. Yeah. We actually have a black hole in the middle of our galaxy. So, you know, we're in the solar system. The entirety of the Milky Way is spinning in a circle. It's spinning around a really big black hole in the middle. A, a black hole that's just crazy massive. You know, it's, it's huge. Um, the black hole we took a picture of is a thousand times bigger, just for context. So think oh, about wow. the black okay. hole that ro rotates our entire galaxy, not just our planets, our entire galaxy. Relative, this, this is a crazy fact. This is going to blow your minds. We all know that <laughs> life is relative, right? We know the Earth is spinning at 30-odd something miles per hour. 30-odd-something thousand, I mean. Uh, but we don't feel that. You know, we feel like we're stationary. Mm. Compared to the black hole in the center of, center of our galaxy, we're moving like 200,000 miles per second. Like, we're, we're moving at such an astronomically fast-paced. That's how strong the black hole in the center of our galaxy is. This one that I took a picture of is a thousand times bigger. Wow. So it leads you to think, well, why did it take so damn long for us to get a picture of it? Okay. This is a real-life comparison of what taking a picture of that black hole is. Taking a picture of that black hole is the equivalent of taking a picture of a peanut in Belgium from Washington, D.C. <laughs> taking a picture of a peanut in Belgium from Washington, D.C. That black hole is so astronomically far away from where we are that you can't even comprehend it. There's so much shit in the way in terms of just gases and clouds and asteroids and meteors and planets and solar systems and light and just leftover background radiation from the Big Bang. There's so much stuff to get in the way. Keep in mind, Will, we have to see it, right? Yeah. So we have to send light at it. Well, all that stuff is getting in the way of the light. A lot of space is empty. A lot of space isn't empty. So it's, it's extremely difficult to get a picture because, one, they're huge. Two, they're black. So you're talking, you say, why is it taking a picture? Well, to get a picture, we have to, we don't actually get a picture of the black hole. We get a picture of all the stuff around the black hole, and in that we can see the black hole. The contrast. So when you see that little fuzzy image, you're like, well, they took a shitty picture. Yeah, that's 25 billion miles, asshole. Have a little bit of respect. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's the like, biggest picture you've ever seen. And like the picture, <laughs> it, it kind of, you remember that, uh, the eyeball on Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's what it reminded me of. Because it's like orange around it with like a black pupil. It looked like an eyeball. Kinda. Redshift. So huh? the reason that it looks like that is when objects are accelerated towards you, there's a shift in the wavelength of their light and it shifts towards the long spectrum. So it comes up as red. And when it shifts away, it shifts, as it shifts to the blue end of the spectrum. So if you, what most people see is the zoomed in picture of the black hole. If you actually look at the entire picture of the black hole, which have either one of you seen it? 
Uh, uh-uh, I don't I, think so. Okay, so when we leave this podcast, look up the full pic, not just the zoomed in fuzzy one. Look at the entire ring around it. It's absolutely breathtaking. You can then you can really see the swirl of all the gases and dust and rocks and stuff that is slowly but surely getting sucked into that black hole. Um, that's one thing. Like if if I do anything right on this podcast, I encourage anyone that listens to it, to it to look up the full picture. Because everyone's seeing the little picture of the black hole, but to really appreciate the scope of what you're seeing, you're talking about material that could fill our entire solar system a hundred times over, being spiraled to its death. So and anyone you've ever known, ever loved, ever cared about, any person that's ever lived or thought existed just on this little planet, we're talking about our entire solar system worth of planets times a hundred. Just getting, just getting sucked away like it's nothing. And there are millions of black holes out there doing the exact same thing right now if you just want to feel small. So, um, did I answer both your questions? You said... Yeah, yeah, that was it. That was both of them? Yeah. I think, so look, I look up the I full asked. picture. I was enthralled by the answer. <laughs> this, this is one of the greatest scientific achievements in the history of humanity. This picture pretty much completely proves Einstein's general theory of relativity we're one step from being able to write down on a piece of paper the mathematical reasoning behind anything that has ever happened from the first second the universe existed till right now us sitting in this room having this conversation it gets us just a little bit closer to an equation of everything a theory of everything and a mathematical explanation of why how we're alive and that's remarkable so yeah you see a fuzzy little ring I see the crowning achievement of 200,000 years of scientific exploration. So That's you, awesome. You can choose which side you fall on. That's so, wild. So That's wild. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question. <clears throat> you talk about how science can explain everything that has happened. <clears throat> I'm going to be devil's advocate here. So how does science explain like the feeling of love? Or emotions. Well, well I mean, not to, necessarily to an, emotions. To an extent, okay. they do understand emotions they, because it's there's a part in the brain known as the amygdala that has certain stimulation when you feel certain emotions. But but love okay. is not an emotion Roll scientifically. With Roll with me on this. this when okay. I was thinking about topics I wanted to discuss, this almost became my only topic. I was going to ask for 45 minutes to explain why science explains love and why it doesn't explain love simultaneously. Um, and we're going to have to get kind of philosophical on this. So if at any point I start going off the deep end, pull me back in because it's something okay. I've spent a lot of time thinking about and other people might have it. Okay. 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 There's a debate as to whether the universe itself is um, a concrete reality or a subjective one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does you you know objective or subjective? Yeah, objective or subjective. If a tree falls in the forest and no one is around to hear it, you know, does it make a sound? It's that kind of thought process. It's of my own personal belief and my argument that the universe is an objective reality. That regardless of the existence of human beings and then the human beings' ability to reason and discuss the hows and whys of the universe and the way it works, it doesn't care. Um, it exists fluidly, continuously, um, the same with or without that. So the laws of physics are the laws of physics, whether or not humans are here. It interacts the same. We play by the same set of rules. The umpire is the same. 
Um, then when you insert humans in that mix, we by nature are a subjective experience. Our, our, the way that we... You experience experience through experience, which yes. is subjectivity. Yes. By our very nature, we have to be subjective because it's the way that we exist within our reality. We are a dualistic thinking creature. The way that I know I'm Blake is because I know I'm not Gary, and I know I'm not Will. And yeah. I know that when I'm home tonight, I'm home because I'm at 3430, the name of my street drive, in case of any of you are creepers and try to come to my house. <laughs> I'm not still at Will's house. We, we give things meaning and designations by the fact that they don't meet the same meanings and designations of other things that we know the meanings and designations of. Yeah, it's like yin, there is a yin because there is a yang, there is right. a good because there is an evil. Yeah, if you meet someone One couldn't exist without the other. You can't teach color to a blind person, not because there's anything wrong with a blind person, but because, you know, you are completely dependent on your sensory input for your understanding of your physical surroundings. So you say, can science explain love? I say you're asking a stupid question. Okay. It's, it's not the job of science to explain whether or not your subjective understanding of reality meets the objective requirements of the underlying principles. You know, you're asking the teacher ask a question that you don't agree with, and you're asking the teacher to rewrite the history books to meet your answer. When in reality, you should be asking, why do I even think this way in the first place? So you're asking the question, how does love explain or how does science explain love but you're assuming that it's the responsibility of science in particular physics to explain love you're assuming that love can't be explained by physics you're asking that question to put me in a paradox to trap me in a corner where i just have to admit that science can't explain everything and there has to be some kind of higher call or higher calling power or reason for these things um to which i would counteract the argument you know, if the brain's not the brain, if the brain can understand itself, it's kind of built into our existence. The reason that we can do all the things that we're capable of is because we have this piece of tissue sitting in our head that's capable of, capable of things that we have no idea why. You know, isn't it? That's like the most mind-blowing thought. Like, you want to sit here and ask the question, why don't we understand this? But we don't even understand ourselves. You know, even if we eliminate physics from the argument and we just stick with love, we can't even answer the question what love is, and, and so you want physics to do it for you? To me, that's selfish, and that's not appreciative of, of the design of the universe. And I'm, I'm not attacking anyone. I'm just I'm very fervent about it because I feel like you have to be self-aware. You have to be metacognitive about that because if not, you lead yourself down these, these mental traps where you start to, you know, you let your ego take hold, and you let these you know, these, these cognitive biases lead your scientific reasoning. And that's not fair to science because one equals one here, one equals one here in New York, one equals one at the farthest expanse of the universe. You know, that's not a rule you made. So why all of a sudden do you get to decide what love is? You know, how do you know that 25 years down the road, we're not going to be completely capable of using our knowledge of chemistry, physics, biology, mathematics to completely program a human being to feel whatever the hell we want. 10,000 years ago, we just knew that the sky was blue and that the sun was red. Has anyone ever heard of color space? Anyone know what that is? So uh -huh. think of like a graph, right? Um, everyone knows what a graph is. Now, now think of a circle in that graph. Each one of those directions, you know, everyone, the angle you know, at which you go out from the center you know, just like a circle, like on a tire, correlates to a different combinations of red, blue, and green. We know by the way that we see color, 
every color is a combination of those three. So you can map out every color on a graph as a combination of those three different x, y, z coordinates. So 10,000 years ago, it's like, how do we explain color? And we had no answer. We're like, oh, it's, you know, it's the sky god making the sky blue, and it's the sun god making the sun red. Now we look at you like you're an idiot. No, dude, it's just wave. It's just wavelength of light at 800 nanometers, you know, coming from the sun, or it's just light at 800 nanometers coming from the atmosphere bouncing off the water, and now all of a sudden it's at 430 because of Snell's law, the way that light reflects. Why would you even ask me that question? So to a degree, I'm not saying you've made me angry, but the general community that lacks scientific literacy loves to pose that question about emotions, but they, one, haven't given human beings a chance to fully develop and answer the questions themselves, and they've also assumed that it's the responsibility of the universe to answer questions about itself. That just doesn't make any sense to me. The universe has given us everything we could possibly want. Like the set of physical variables in their, their right relation to one another that it took for us simply to be here alive, have the technology we have to have this conversation. And the only thing you can come up with is to ask me a question about emotion. Why? Aren't there things more important than that? Like you, you don't understand it either. It, it's just, it's, it's giving in to that cynical, narcissistic, cognitive bias that people that lack scientific literacy have. And I'm just not here for it. Short answer to your question, Gary, it, it can't. But will it one day? That's certainly a possibility. I'm saying you're asking the wrong question. Yeah. Okay. All right, that, that's my rant on that's a That's an interesting answer. Blew my brain to smithereens with that, bro. I, <laughs> I lost you there. At the, I started off strong, but I'm going to have to go listen to that one again. Yeah, the uh, the thing is, uh, so it made sense. I, I understood what you were saying, though. Like, I got your point across of the wrong question, which is the main idea. Yeah, I, I you kinda, ask why I, not when we should be asking how. You so, know? like how, like how, and how, and okay. Sorry, why to cut do off, we Gary. love? What would be the correct question then to ask? Okay, about so love. You know what I mean? Say, how does science explain love? Okay. I, w- I would say, you know, you're, you know, you're asking the wrong question. The yeah. question that I encourage you to ask is love a byproduct of our subjective experience or does love exist independent of that? Or is love a concrete thing? So you're saying yeah. you're, you're, you're kind of attacking it from that, that dualistic perspective. It's like, okay, we experience love subjectively but is love an objective thing one thing physics never tries to do physics never tries to be subjective it is by nature an objective science yeah it asks objective questions it answers objective questions so it's unfair to try and trap it with something that is subjective by nature now if you can prove to me that love is by nature objective and then i can't answer you you have something then you have a real argument against it but until you have that you know you're just giving in the cognitive biases, you know? Yeah. And so, see, this is... This it would is, be hard It would be hard to prove love is objective because what if somebody doesn't I don't think, love? I don't think you could do it. Exactly. Because, you, some people because love, love does not exist independent of the subjective human experience. Exactly. And so, we, see, this is where, this is where Blake and I, I differ on, on belief, which we've talked about several times. Well, that's fine. Uh, yeah. We've always talked about that. Well, that's what I'm saying. We've talked about it's fine to have different opinions, but it's like Blake... 
it believes in the objective side of things. Like it's like you have objective and subjective. We both understand, Blake and I, that those are two different things and they can't exist without the other. So it's no, like he he has he has decided to believe that reality exists objectively, but that's like objective with a capital O. Like he has transcended uh, it's the, underlined the and bolded. Yeah. And so, like, but but I have decided. I believe that you experience experience subjectively, and that it's like I know that you can't have objective without subjective, and I believe that experience is experienced through subjectivity okay. with a capital S. I, I have a counter question, Garrett, yeah. and this is something that I've thought about a lot, and honestly, I just don't know how Debate. to answer this question. Debates. All right, we'll, we'll call it God, call it a higher power, whatever it is that exists above us, right? Right. You know. To a, to a flea, we might as well be. To me, to a flea, we're omnipotent, all-powerful, all the things that would meet the qualifications <laughs> for a god, right? So let's just say something like that exists above us that dictates how we exist. They created the universe, us, all this, blah, 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 blah. Do you think if there's a higher power, I'm arguing for objective with a capital O, that we can be taken out of the equation and this still exists the way that it exists? You're arguing more for the other point that... Our reality comes from the subjective experience, with I don't, which I also don't necessarily disagree with, because I'm not 100% sure about any of this shit. I don't think anyone is, and if you assume yeah, you are, you you're wrong. Think, if you not think you know it, you're wrong. Simple-minded ramblings of a man in a large, large universe were going on here. Yeah. Do you think that if there is that higher power, they have the choice to do so? So if we are, in fact, created, can said creator create an objective reality for his subjective beings, can he also then create a subjective reality for his subjective beings? I would fall more towards the first. You would fall more towards the second. Yes. Do you think if that's the case, it's by design? <clears throat> so when you say, elaborate on what you mean by if it's by design. Okay. If it was created by a creator. Right. So let's assume there's a creator that creates us. Is the way we exist... Does that happen because, you know, when you, when you ask well, these creation, kind of questions... Creation is just another way to look at, at dualism, though, because with, when you have to create something, the other side of that is destruction. So it's like, yes, I believe in creation, but it's creation with a capital C. No. It's like, in, whereas, whereas... You okay, pa the, pause this for a second. When you're saying things with a capital letter at the front, what does that entail? You're losing it's, me there. When you it's got, like... Because like, when you keep saying that, what does that mean? You know when you take one of those quizzes in middle school and it's like, do you uh, not agree, no opinion, agree, strongly yeah. agree? It's like one, two, three, four, five. We're yeah. talking strongly agree versus agree. What, what I mean is that it's like you can't have one without the other, so they're one and the same, but I choose to look at it as creation as opposed to destruction. And you get what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so basically when you say a capital letter, it just means it's like 100%... I've tra like it's like transcend the the opposites. It's like I understand like because when you when you create something, say you create an idea, you have to destroy other ideas in order to believe that idea. You have to get rid of the other ideas Most to definitely. actually believe Most that. Most definitely, yeah. And so it's like you can't have creation without destruction. So I believe that like we live in this whether it was the big bang or whatever happened that was God's way of creating everything with a capital C. Because with creation, we have destruction. 
Yeah. It's like there's destruction with creation, so it's like you can't have one without the other. I think it's you can't put it into words. It's you can't put God into words. No, I, really. I think the it's, human experience exists independent of the universe. I don't know why or how. Um, maybe when I die, I'll figure that out. Um, but I don't think that the universe is here for us. So that was the answer to your question, Blake. It's like yeah. it's just another. It's just another way to look at dualism. Yeah. I don't. I don't agree with you, but I appreciate your viewpoint. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I, I think you have. I can't. Consciousness has rose. I can't like, prove you wrong. Yeah, and I can't prove you wrong. Yeah, and it's like whatever is is. Yeah, it's like we're all we're all living it. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, we're all living it regardless. And like I choose to believe that there's a God and that we we experience this all as one subjectively, whereas Blake believes that we're still all one thing and it is what it is regardless, but he chooses to look at it through an objective lens. Yeah, I, I think God made himself. I think God manifests himself in the laws of physics. I, I think, I think some people look for miracles. I think that I look for the four laws of electromagnetism, the three laws of that, thermodynamics. I think that a lot of religions get this idea of a guy in the sky yeah. and that it's like existence is like, People think that science and religion, like, uh, oppose each other, but they both are, like, it's like they're both ways of describing the universe, and it's like the yeah. universe is going to be the way it is regardless yeah. of how you sit back and try and describe it. They're honestly, and this is, I've never been able to wrap my head around this. I am the most pro-science person ever. But the last thing I will do is put down someone that's religious because I think there's nothing more complimentary than science or religion because religion tells you to have faith. Science gives you a reason. Science gives you a reason. Religion gives you the, the higher, you know, like who built it. You know what I mean? Like if you, if you isolate science, then you think, well, then who the fuck made the science? Well, science gives me a deeper appreciation for the spirituality and religion that I have come to foster. It's like... I understand now that there are millions, billions of galaxies out right, there, right. and it's like, whoa, the the preciseness, the that you were talking about, just the crazy uh, idea that we're actually here, sitting in this room, talking amongst all of existence, is just insane to me. To me, yeah, that's where I get lost in it too, is because I like Gary. I was you knew I'd go to church and stuff, Blake. Yeah, and uh, it's like. When you start thinking about the science and the physics of things, it it makes you feel so uh, minuscule in comparison yeah. to what the universe is. You know what I mean? So, like that for me, I'll just use my personal example. I obviously believe in uh, in a, in God and whatnot, and that that accelerates my appreciation and I, I don't know what word I'm trying to say, like appreciation and awe of, yeah, of a god because it 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 takes everything and just makes it so um not hard to understand it but puts makes it, it, into it puts it in, in a perspective that i can't even fathom with my head i'm definitely waiting for which the, is biblical because it says we can't understand god's ways uh, you can't understand time the way that god's understands yeah, but, time but i'm giving what basically what i'm trying to say is i'm trying to give um a nod to science in that yeah, it it helps me, not helps me. That's a bad word. It gives me a a greater perspective. Yeah. If of all you have to go on exist. is some old stories in a book, 
you know, about a dude getting swallowed by a whale, you're like, that doesn't make any sense. But then you look out and they're like, holy shit, we just took a picture of a black hole from 50 billion light years away. There's no way this got here on accident. It's almost, it becomes a, a day-to-day bonus point for your faith. Because you just look out there and, that's you know, a good That's a good way to put it. Because yeah. like, I, I understand the way the universe works. And I'm still like, what the hell? You know, I know the equations by heart. I, I understand the astronomical phenomenon. But even then, it, it still doesn't give you the why. And that's, why I think, where religion and science meet in a very, very happy middle ground. Because you can appreciate the universe for what it is and then worship your higher power for giving you the opportunity to exist within that. Versus being stubborn and saying, no, fuck science. We're the center of the galaxy. You know, praise God, da da da, or just being like, no, math is all that matters. You know, nothing happens when you die. You just float off into darkness. Yeah, I think I think you find that middle ground. You that's where you really find fulfillment, at least as an academic slash someone of spiritual nature. Yeah, I've thought of this too. Like f- for me, um, I don't know what other people think about whenever they think of life being over. Yeah, that you know, there's a bunch of different theories that different religions have had over. You know decades and centuries and you know you'll be reincarnated you'll go to heaven you'll go to hell all this kind of stuff it's like one not necessarily the driving factor but just a main factor for my personal me personally my personal religion and what i believe is the thought of something something good after you die you know what i mean i'll say well i believe in heaven and hell i'll say heaven i believe that because it's it's a positive thing Right. to believe in to think about and it's absolutely. like absolutely it's like could could it be wrong you know th- i don't think this is blasphemous for me to say as a believer i believe it 100% but could it be wrong it it could because has anyone ever been there that's living right it's like you can't prove it but i believe it you know what i mean yeah. but like if it doesn't exist what did i lose you know yeah. what what happened that was already going to happen. You followed it, principles that made you a better person it, and enjoy yeah, the it, quality it of gave your life. Me, it gave me more to look forward to. Like it, it made me live in a more positive way yeah. because I don't, look, I don't look... I think that takes even more faith. Because I don't look to death as something that's at, at a, as an end. I don't look at life as something that's futile, that's just withering away. It's like there's something more to look forward to after, even though it's not guaranteed. Yeah. But if it's not, if it doesn't come to be, it's going to happen either way. Then, yeah. But what I'm saying is, even if it doesn't exist, right. I, I did, I didn't lose anything. Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. If that made sense at all. Yeah. yeah. Pessimist, pessimistic people when it comes to the subject of death are very irritating to be around because it's you know that lump, oh what's or what's the point kind of thing. Yeah. Like either it's approach like, death with confidence or approach it with the hope of something more, but don't approach it as a you know someone that's worn out and just feels the weight of the world on their shoulders because they can't deal with the fact of, you know, their morality. Yeah, you said that earlier, too, when you were talking about it, it gives you a sense of urgency. It makes you want to do things. Right. Because you know that. It's precious. It's precious. It's precious because it's like like you're in the desert. You just got a little tiny canteen of water left, you know? It's like something that's valuable. You want to hold on to it, make the most of it. So, Yeah. yeah. Life is beautiful. It's beautiful because it ends. Yeah. You can't wow. have life without death. It's just another, just another uh, dualistic uh, way of. Thinking. I'm excited for death. Like I don't want to die, but you know what I mean. It's like we're we're in this crazy scenario of, you know, just existing the way that it's just incomprehensible how many different possibilities there are in life. 
even like even in our understanding like think about it if you opened up the laws of physics like if you could somehow change it to where up is down and down is up just by doing that you've doubled the number of possible outcomes now imagine having that level of freedom within every little single atom in the entire universe you can't even comprehend the amount of different ways the universe could play out so the fact that we're existing in this one sitting in this room having a conversation you know Death is almost a promise of there might not be more, but you get an opportunity at it. You don't get stuck in this one little revolving door of, you know, this. You're, it's almost like claustrophobic when it comes to your own mortality. Like no one, no one wants to die. You know, it's physiologically built into you. But when you think about it logically, it's like, you know, it's almost to a point encouraging and exciting the fact that there might be even more. There there might be a whole nother set of things on the other side of that. Like, I love life so much. I love experiencing things. And even if it's just a series of chemical reactions in my brain, damn it, it feels good. And I'm glad that I have good times with good friends and good memories. Yeah, and what else is, what else well, is there? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if it's a hell, well, <laughs> fuck, I don't know. <laughs> I'll deal with that when I get there. But just... And if it's a heaven? And if it's a heaven? You know, yeah. and even if it's just fading off into darkness, you know, just knowing that there's another step, you know, that there's maybe not another day, but there's another, another stepping stone in this great, great big cosmic fuss of confusion, because that's really what life is. You know, we've created all these things like society and culture to help us sort out the confusion, because we really don't have a damn clue what's going yeah, on. Confusion, even down on the on the the chemical level. I mean, all all. We are, if you get down in the the very like the atoms of what it is, it's it's chemical confusion that's made sense of itself. It's entropy that has literally made Heisenberg sense of itself. Heisenberg uncertainty principle. Yes. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> Everything. What is it? Everything that. Nothing is certain. Nothing is certain. No, I, like I mean that literally. Nothing is certain. Quantum theory. Woo. Oh, man, how. How long have we been going, Will? Dude. We've been. You want to take a guess? Two hours. Yeah, two fourteen. Oh, oh is this a gosh. record? This is definitely a record, bro. Like, oh my gosh, dude, we just like launched off into the stratosphere. Not even like <laughs> deeper than the stratosphere. Like my mind went into that the black was, hole. We got a little philosophical. That was there. quite yeah. an hour of back and forth. That was that was nice. I feel stimulated. No doubt. Not Stim- every day that you get to have conversations like this. No. That, that really, that might have been the first uncasual conversation. Well, it was casual. Two, so two, you said two hours we've been going? Yeah. Wow. Two hours, 15. We're killing. We're, dude, we, these Content. guests, man, we've had, we've had some guests go for a long time. We just keep, keep on dragging I it. like the back keep and going. Forth, though. It's all respectful. It's all so, logical. It's so what else, what else do you have for us, Blake? I know there's a few more things yep. that you got. So I'm going to wrap it up with two different things I'd like to discuss. I'm going to start with what's called the sword and shield paradox. I'm going to give two cultural references to kind of you know, bring this to light. So maybe someone that has any um, previous experience with this thought process can kind of you know, jog their memory. The first is the story of the Temesian fox. It was a fox that could never be caught, and it was hunted by a hound known as Lapless, a, uh, a hound that never misses its prey. Um, it's an old Greek tale, and realizing the paradox, 
game that could never be caught, a hunter that could never not catch its prey. Um, Zeus turned them both into stars. The Greeks really liked that. Anytime they had a story, like it always ends with someone getting turned into a star. Which, you know, there's a lot of stars out there, so there's plenty of opportunities for stories. So that's your old timey. So for like the three people over the age of 65, Miss Rooney, if you're listening, I think you're an English teacher. I'm no, not... she, she's a facts teacher. Facts teacher? Okay, never mind. <laughs> or if there are any English teachers on here, that's probably more up your alley. Miss um, Carol? Miss Carol's an English teacher. All right, Miss Carol. Um, <laughs> Batman. So at the end of the one of the Batman movies, um, the Joker says to Batman, you just couldn't let me go, could you? This is what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immov- immovable object. You truly are incorruptible, aren't you? Huh? You won't kill me out of some misplaced sense of self-righteousness, and I won't kill you because you're just too much fun. I think you and I are destined to do this forever. So the sword and shield paradox can be boiled down to what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. And I'm going to break this down in terms of physics. And I'm going to use a couple very relatable characteristics of objects to explain why, if this was possible, it would be one of the most miraculous sights in all of reality. Let's start with an unstoppable force. When we think of an unstoppable force, it leads to my mind two different things. Okay. For it to be an unstoppable force, it has to have an infinite amount of force so that no other force can overcome it. It being unstoppable means that it's moving. And if it's moving, we can describe that movement by some speed. Five miles an hour. Whatever, you know, what kind of metric or whatever system you want to use to designate that distance. But we know that it being unstoppable, that that cannot change. Nothing that gets in its path is allowed to change how fast it's going. So we have an object with an infinite amount of force and a constant speed. Now let's move on to the immovable object. We know the property that inhibits speed in the universe, right? I talked to you earlier about light a lot. The reason light goes the speed of light is because it's light. But I didn't really break that down any further. It's because light has no mass. Light is not affected by gravity in the way that something with mass is. Light is affected by gravity curving things, but it's not affected by gravity pulling on it. That's what inhibits us from moving the speed of light. We're constantly being pulled on by everything that exerts a gravitational force. So for an object to be immovable, what that means to me is it has an infinite amount of mass. It can't be moved because there's no other mass that can exert a force of gravity on it enough to move it out of the way. It also says to me that its speed is zero and its speed must stay zero because it's immovable. Quick recap. Unstoppable force. Constant speed. Infinite force. Immovable object. No speed. um, Infinite mass. So what happens when they meet each other? Well, nothing. Well, something has to happen. Well, kind of. <laughs> what happens? We know one. Its speed cannot change from a constant. It's set on cruise control. The other one cannot move. It's in park. So its constant speed would be zero. Yeah, that one. The, un- the immovable object. It's not going anywhere. It's in park with the e-brake on. The other one, set at a constant speed. 
cruise control. The only conceivable outcome that would follow the known laws of physics, if an immovable object met an unstoppable force, is they would pass right through each other, like ghosts, walking through walls. What? What? So... What? Because one of them cannot stop moving at the speed it's going. So when it hits that object, it has to pass right through it. There's no other option that follows the laws of physics. They just, like a ghost walking through walls. But is it impossible to have an unstoppable force in an immovable object? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, by definition, an immovable object is an unstoppable force. And an unstoppable force, by definition, is an immovable object, right? Oh, so they're the same thing. They are. It's just a thought experiment. Oh, okay. Sword and, sword and shield paradox. Right. There you go. Unstoppable force, an object or force with infinite inertia. Inertia is like the property. When something gets moving, its inertia is what keeps it moving until something acts on it to stop. Yeah. Um, would be consistent with the definition of an immovable object. Any object whose momentum or motion cannot be changed is an immovable object, and it would halt any object that moved relative to it, making it an unstoppable force. So it, it's two ways of saying the same thing, but it's kind of cool to think about because, you know, it'd be cool to watch it like a, a mountain. Just See, I didn't even get it. I didn't get the whole thing, but now I get it because he explained. <laughs> I yep. thought they were like two different things. I pictured like a big mountain and a freight no, train. Yeah, like when you first pose the question, you're like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then you really start to thinking about it and you're like, nah, someone's just being tricky. But that's what it is. <laughs> but, but it has a really interesting physical outcome if you could ever actually see that situation happening. So now I'm going to move on to my last topic. And this is one that hits home to me um, and most people because it's something that's intrinsic to the struggle of human being. It is the plight of man. And that is the concept of time um, because it's what gives our lives meaning and what gives us urgency. And it's the way that we split up. Our lives, is made, our lives are made up of a series of experiences. A whole bunch of different moments strung together like a picture book. And those increments are the increments between those pictures is time. It is, it's the dimension we live in, but we can't manipulate, right? We have up, down, left, and right, forward, and backwards. But we also live in a continuous forward movement of time, the same way the river is constantly flowing. We have no control over that flow. But yet it's the one that probably means the most to us. Because as much as the house you build, northwest, east, south, up, and down, it never means as much as you dying. Time is your. It's time. It, it is what it is. There's, there's really no, no way to describe it other than the simple matter of fact is it is. It's the, the old man in the sky saying, you're here for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> but why does it flow forward? Why not backwards? Have you ever thought about that? No. Like time We're, traveling? Or not necessarily? Sure. You, like no, going back time, in time. I definitely thought of time travel. Time traveling is, say, you know, if you're on a river, you get out of the river and then you run a mile upstream and then you get back in the river. I'm talking widest in the flow completely reversed. I mean, if it reversed, it'd just be in relativity. I mean, isn't that concept forward and backward just relativity? In a sense, yes, but I'm going to break down why that's not completely true. Okay. There are... There are restrictions in the universe. The universe has like, you know, speed bumps set in place so that certain things don't happen, you know. If a black hole, once it gets compacted enough, you know, it just stops. It doesn't rip the universe apart. 
it just it compacts as much as it can and it creates a black hole you know it's the same way as a speed bump in a school zone it's like no once you get going too fast here we need to bring you back down to earth time is a fundamental part of experience um the basic laws of physics don't seem to care which direction it goes so i'm going to break down some of those basic laws to understand what i'm saying the rules that govern the orbits of planets work the same whether you go forward or backwards in time. So if you look at the way the planets rotate around the sun and then reverse it, they behave the same. You know, it's just what's the direction they're rotating. Mm-hmm. You can play the motions of the solar system in reverse and they look completely normal. They don't violate any laws of physics. So what distinguishes the future from the past? What is it about time that prevents you from being able to do that? Well, it's the second law of thermodynamics. Anyone Remember that from school. It's probably been a long time since anyone's approached it. Nope. So Object, this is the one in motion, says, stay in motion. Um, no, it's Newton's. But nice. I <laughs> That's like all it. I, got. I like it. <laughs> this is the one. If you remember, it says um, the universe is the entropy of the universe is always increasing. The universe is always getting more disorderly. The universe is always giving up order for the sake of more disorder. And I'm going to try and break this down as simply as I can. So the second law of thermodynamics states that the entropy of an isolated system that is not in equilibrium will increase as time progresses until equilibrium is finally achieved. What that means is if you take an ice cube and put it in a cup of hot water, the temperatures will balance out. The ice will continue to melt until the temperature of the water is the same as that of the ice cube or until the ice cube is gone. That ice cube is in a very orderly state. Its molecules are very structured in a crystal lattice form. And then through that, intra- or through that thermodynamic process, disorder comes from them being freed of their state. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, entropy is the measure of the unavailability of a system's energy to do work. So when you have more entropy, you have less of an opportunity to do work. What that means is, if you were going to measure the entropy of your vehicle, you would measure that by the lack of gas in your gas tank. The less gas you have, the less you can drive, the more disorder you have. The reason that is, is the way that physics is designed by whoever or whatever, when something does work on something, it has to, that energy that it uses to do that work has to come from somewhere. The process of taking that energy away breaks down the structure that it came from so if you had a house but you wanted to start a fire and you started taking boards from your house you make that fire but you're making your house more disorderly you're making it less structured to the point eventually you take out enough boards it collapses on itself does that make sense yeah Yeah. kind of that's what i mean when i say entropy so when an ice cube in your glass melts and and dilutes your lemonade entropy increases right you had an ice cube in a structured form dissipates out you can reverse all the forces, strong nuclear force, weak nuclear force, electrodynamics, gravity, all that shit as it applies to the solar system, and you can get the planets to spin backwards. I can show you on paper. It's, it's very, very simple. All it takes is a change of what you define as each direction. There's nothing you can do to that cup of lemonade to get the ice cube back out of it. It doesn't matter if you play it back. That's, the entropy of the universe is always increasing. So if you play it in reverse, the entropy of the universe still wants to increase. So it's not just going to magically give you that ice cube back. The planets are different. That has nothing to do with the entropy. That's just simply the motion of bodies. 
That's just something going backwards and something going forwards. This is a whole completely different situation when we start talking about entropy. In that has relation a, to time. It has a very profound effect. When you scramble an egg, entropy increases, right? You get on a nice leg. Now it's all over the place. If you play that back, there's, there's no way to get that egg back because of the way entropy works. Entropy dictates that the universe always gets more disorder. We started at this very small point. The Big Bang happened, and ever since then, we're spreading all this shit out everywhere, and it's just getting more and more disorderly, and for some reason, the universe loves it. The second law is the reason why you, can't, why you can mix stuff, but you can't unmix it, like coffee and cream. Unmixed, they're in an orderly state. Mixed together, they are disordered. The second law of dynamics says that no matter how hard you try, you can't... Hold that thought. It says you can't unmix the coffee and get the cream back. That's why we can't go back. Because of the second law of thermodynamics. The same reason that when you put an ice cube in your cup of coffee and it cools off, that's the same reason we can't travel directly back into time. It's simply a byproduct of the way our universe is designed. So right now, someone is in a hospital bed, dying. Wishing they had more time. Wishing that they could go back. And not for a second are they going to consider that the nurse that's been taking care of them for the last week on these 16-hour shifts, drinking ice water. That that cup of ice water she uses to hydrate herself. For the very same reason that it's cold is the very same reason he's not getting any of that time back. So you can call the group of physicists, the, the physics community, nuts, mathies, nerds. Say whatever you want. But everything that we have spent all this time throughout history discovering and understanding at the most basic level explains some of the most sincere, emotional, and genuine human experiences that we have. We can't boil down life and death and love the way we would like to, but the situations in which we find ourselves that give them the meanings that give rise to those emotions, we can describe very, very, very well. And that should be appreciated just as much, if not more. Wow. Wow. That, that was a good one. Thank you. I enjoyed that. Wow. So, this was a good, very lengthy podcast. Um, you are going to blow a lot of people's minds to smithereens. And I... I Honestly, foresee a lot of people like just being like, "Whoa, this is just this is just <laughs> this is just over over my head." Um, but there, there's a lot of there's a lot of like passion that you can just feel that comes off of you when it comes to this topic. I mean, I, I'm sure Will would say the same thing. It's like you you know this stuff, and you it's like you've it's in my heart. Definitely spent a lot of time learning, and and not only learning, but just like connecting it to like your belief system and like what you what you are so that's that's really cool to just yeah i've never been around and honestly i've been around you and i've heard you talk about this stuff but never never to the extent that you just laid it on us and yeah uh, that was pretty impressive that was impressive and to anyone who says i'm not going to understand what he had to say i say shame on you because i didn't i didn't understand some of the stuff he said but you're never going to understand it if you don't give it a chance. It's true. You're never, yeah. never going to understand anything if you don't start somewhere. We've said this before. You plant a seed, 
What is it? What do you do the seed, Gary? You water it every day. Water that see seed. what grows. I mean, you can't just. That's why. I, that's why I think it's so cool that we have different kind of people on here, from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different experiences, different everything. It's like it makes you. Uh, it gives you a different seed to plant. You know, it Definitely. gives you something that you can, you can think about, not just, not just everything that you always think about. It gives you something different. So yeah. Anyway, guys, it's been a great time. I appreciate before me be before we finish it up, Blake. We all you you pretty much nailed it with that last segment you had. But we always ask if there was one thing you could tell anybody listening, one thing you could tell them if they were never going to hear your voice again for the entirety of their life. If you could just t- somebody you leave them a nugget, leave them a or, any, nugget anything. or anything one thing you would tell somebody if you were never going to see them again it doesn't have, it can be anything it can be physics related it can be life related it can yep. be just anything if, if i had to boil it down to one thing that i had to tell someone i would tell them this on my deathbed um don't get sucked in keep your mind open always that's what got us to where we are that's what's going to get us to where we're going just don't get sucked in. Keep an open mind. Be scientifically literate and question everything. I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. I freaking dig it. Blake, thank you so much for coming on. You smashed our record for, for time. I don't Dude. think that there's going to be somebody that, that gets close Dude, to that I'm one not for even a kidding. While. We could have... We could do a part two later some other time. Yeah, we'd love to have you on again. Because I... I you gave me like a little foundation, like you laid the you laid the asphalt or the concrete for the house. But I'll come back and think of more questions to ask you. That's what I'll do. Yeah, de- and you can come back on and ask you ask you different questions. I'm totally down, gentlemen. It's been a blast. So um, we'll just uh, do the outro. Um, I am on Instagram at Gary the Great ninety six, and on Snapchat at Gary G A I R Y. And I'm on Instagram at Will underscore Pennington zero zero and on Twitter at the scavenger 23. You can find us on Instagram at casual conversation podcast and on YouTube channel name. You guessed it. Casual conversation podcast on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, and Blake, what's your social media? Let them know. I'm not currently on social media. Woo. Hey, it's a hiatus. Taking a break. A hiatus. I do that occasionally. It's good for it's good for the mind, man. It is good for the mind. You are always getting smashed with media left and right. You never get a chance to just kind of unplug. Yeah, definitely find find a a good release when I do that. Yeah, sound of silence. Sound of <laughs> silence. Hey, that's that's honestly like if we come on. I mean, you you really feel this full of physics this time, but there is so much like music and music history, rock and roll history, yeah. blues history. Gary, like, we could go for days, man. Stuff. You and me could go for days, especially um, will mediating. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I, well, I had a ton of music questions I didn't even ask you because we just didn't we even get to blew them. the doors yeah. down. This was our this was the physics episode. But we'll definitely have you back on sometime for sure. But anyways, well. I guess, with all that being said, Gary out. Uh, Later. Go Lakers.